Hello and welcome back to Podcasting is Praxis. I'm David, my pronouns are he and him. I'm James, my pronouns are they and them. I'm Jamie, my pronouns are he and him. I'm Rob, mine are he and him. And I'm Alistair, my pronouns are he and him. We did it. We watched Andor. And I made everyone else watch it. And then we're going to talk oh, about it. I thought you were going to... We're going to talk like, about it for the rest of time. I thought you were going to like <laughs> pat, like pat everybody on the back for like getting through the intro in One Piece. Specifically, moi. No, no, Rob. No. It was perilous because like um, the order's wrong again, but... <laughs> I'm, I'm just not going to congratulate you, Rob, because you don't deserve congratulations for getting one of the simplest possible fucking things correct after 215 attempts. I think you'll find that I do. Wrong. <laughs> I'm just going to pat myself on the back. I'm really good. Podcast yeah. police force expecting biscuits just for turning up. <laughs> <laughs> you call me a cop again, you motherfucker. We're going to have words. <laughs> Oh, what, am I going to fall down the stairs in the precinct, am I? Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, how did Jamie get into these several suitcases? Well, I guess we'll never know. <laughs> Luggage is my oh. superpower. Are they, just, are they mysteriously distributed, like, intercontinentally sort of thing? Do we have, like, one sitting in Switzerland, one in the Netherlands, one over in the UK, and one mysteriously on its way to Bermuda? No. Do you have any idea how much, like, it costs these days to get to get a suitcase in the hold? No, 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 no. Like, at best, like, you're getting the regional flight from Manchester to Liverpool or something. <laughs> you could scatter five five suitcases around the globe by just taking them all on one like cheap flight, couldn't you? Though? <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Ryanair listening to this and going, like, "Lads, we've got a job." Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. Shall we? Shall we go on with this because we have a lot to talk about. A lot sure. to talk about. Um, so yeah, we watched Andor, um, and we all agree it was very good. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. It's all right. Uh, uh, right, right, there it is. <laughs> I, I really like Andor. Fucking kids today. No, I, I, I understand why Alistair says that. Like, I'm kind of, to be totally bits, honest, don't get me I'm wrong. annoyed. There were bits that I really did like, but there were also bits that I really just got bored with. Mm. I, I will say that Andor, I'm annoyed that I like it as much as I do. Like as as by way of opening comments, but I do like it a lot, and I actually would go so far. I don't say this lightly. I think Andor has literary merit in it, um, mm-hmm. which I am very fucking reluctant to say, given what it is. But, but you we'll just talk did. more on that in a bit. Yeah, you heard it here first, folks. Star Wars yeah. is literature. Yeah, I said it's got literary merit, bits. not quite the same thing. Yeah, four bits. You can play that on Twitch. Yes. <laughs> oh, this is like nails on a chalkboard to me. I swear to fucking god. <laughs> Well, you just oh, shouldn't think okay. that Star Wars is literature ever. Then you know, then you would be at this point. Oh. <laughs> Start as you mean to go on, is it, Rob? Yeah, yeah, damn it. Six hours of this tonight. <laughs> yep, at least maybe talk about one episode. Yeah. Well, to to get into what Andor is, first we need to ask the question: What is a Star War? Ask the question: If James loves Star Wars so much, why don't they marry it? <laughs> <laughs> You can't marry literature. That's insane. All right, I'm giving up. Be right back. I'm purchasing a, purchasing a bunch of Funko Pops, putting them on my shelf, getting the posters, building my own fucking lightsaber. Sure, why not? Why not just go full hog? James, what's your address? I'm going to send you a uh, Darth Vader mug. 
<laughs> Aye, awesome. Okay. Wait, why is this mug package ticking? <laughs> we are all the Darth Vader mug tonight, so that's fair. Mm. I definitely feel like a mug, yeah. Okay, so obviously we don't want to get through this at any appreciable pace, but no. um, I'll ask again, what is a Star Wars? Alistair. Uh, Who remembers Reaganism? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It is um, many films and and other uh, media mm. products. Yeah. Do yes. you want an actual serious answer, David? It's that book where Han Solo fucks an otter. <laughs> <laughs> also true. It's that Wait, Wikipedia article about the hold sex on. planet that's what? too powerful for any of them. I swear to God, this whole this whole recording is just going to be wait, what really or what? Like, because <laughs> like, if there's one thing that I've learned is that fucking Star Wars is just completely fucking insane, and the less yes. I know about that, the better. <laughs> so like, there, there have been there were moments when I was watching Andor where I was thinking, oh, I wonder if that's got any sort of greater significance, and like, I googled it, and then in like, there's like a million Wikipedia articles. I'm like, no, <laughs> best not. Alistair looking like an Imperial officer has put a certain set of headphones on him. Um, no, like, so, okay, in all seriousness, what is a Star Wars? Back in a Mr. Time, an obscure academic by the name of Joseph Campbell did a whole bunch of research into world mythology, and he worked out there's a common pattern, and he wrote a book on the back of it called The, Heroes with a Thousand Face- the Hero with a Thousand Faces, uh, which basically outlines what a typical story looks like in the form of the psychological component of a hero's journey, what a hero must go through in steps to make a satisfying human story. Then along comes a guy who's a young film student by the name of George Lucas, who picks this up, reads it, and goes, hey, this is like a blueprint. So in theory, I can just snap some stuff onto the scaffolding, and I've got like a, I've got a movie here. And uh, so he had a go at doing it, and it wasn't very good. But fortunately, George Lucas's wife was much smarter than he was. And she turned it into a salvageable film by doing things like saying, no, you can't have the main character be like a cyborg with a robot head. Like, that's not going to resonate well with the box office audience. Yeah. Um, And so George Lucas makes this little kind of, you know, fly by the seat of your pants film called Star Wars. Yeah. Release release the Luke Skywalker as a Henry Hoover cut. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Now, when he when he first did it, it was actually just a bit of a standalone project, but it was immensely successful because it really did unleash the power of what Joseph Campbell had written about. It, it demonstrated that it was it was factual, that it worked, and that with the right elements, it would resonate with people. So he very quickly retconned it to be part of a much larger story, and he retconned it to be episode four of a nine-part installment in his mind. And we know he retconned it because just after, as Star Wars was getting ready to go to publication, they'd already agreed book rights for a sequel um, because we figured, oh, there'll be some nerds who like this, so let's get like a fantasy and sci-fi offer to write a sequel to Star Wars. And that was already out and in circulation by the time the movie was being a hit. And you can actually find copies of it. So there was a whole other what could have been the sequel to Star Wars floating around. A million fucking drafts. The further back you go, the more insane they are. George Lucas is an unwell man, and I hand-wrote yes. 63 pages of notes for this episode. Yeah. So, yes. At least, at least like, script. 60% of those alternate sequels can be found on Literotica. <laughs> 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 I 
all 63 of those pages are just meticulous notes on the various kinds of hats that are in Andor. <laughs> yeah, mm. Bemoaning and the so lack of waters. But uh, so so that was the that was the genesis of Star Wars. It quickly turned into a a trilogy. But George Lucas is like, I'm gonna leave my options open. So he, he did it like the middle three, and so episodes four, five, and six, and they were generally very well received. Um, you know, he he had the good sense at that time to bring in partners to supplement his weaknesses, and it ended up with him being pretty decent. Um, Sometime after Star Wars, uh, George Lucas, you know, by this point, he's a mega, mega millionaire. I don't think he'd quite hit a billionaire yet. And um, they decide they're going to, you know, commercialize Star Wars, make toys. And then from toys um, and from Hasbro, they then move into the wider extended Star Wars universe. In which uh, was sold was, Fox and all. Yes. Yeah. It was Kenner, wasn't it, that used to do the Star Wars figures? Uh, I genuinely couldn't tell you, Jamie. I'll bow to your superior knowledge here. Um so this then this leads to the Star Wars Extended Universe, but the rules for that are where essentially you can write prequels, but only before a certain t- point in time, like thousands of years ago, and you can set stuff after the the if you will main trilogy as they called it. But like there's this this little gap of like about three episodes worth of content before the original series that is reserved space. George Lucas comes back to to do that. He writes the prequel trilogy, as it's known. And the prequel trilogy is actually really interesting. It's bad, but it's interesting. Um, It's interesting because George Lucas decided to try and do a social conscience. And he basically tried to write about imperialism and the George W. Bush years through analogy and metaphor. Unfortunately, he's not a talented enough writer to do it. And by the way, he divorced his wife uh, at some point during all of this. So she wasn't around to help him. And And hence Jar Jar Binks. And hence Jar Jar Binks. Though, interestingly enough, uh, there is there is some indication, a genuine indication, that the original draft of the script was more interesting, um, and that Jar Jar Binks might not have been right. the original kind of Did clown get character. To the killing younglings line sooner. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Listen, he's a funnier character than they've ever had before. So, mm. um, so he did he did the, the prequel trilogy. They. They sold, but only because Star Wars was that popular, like an IP and brand, and because Samuel L. Jackson was in his star power and he did a huge press circuit hyping it up um, as part of his participation in it. So, you and know, also they, they you- were like wildly racist, which always sells well. Well, yeah, that too. Um, yeah. Like, basically, the prequel trilogy managed to do well commercially purely through media hegemony and through, like, that's how beloved Star Wars was as an idea, um, with most people not knowing about the extended universe. Anyway, so this made George Lucas a billionaire. Um and, you know, he just he carried on until eventually at some point he decided it was time to sell out, like, for real, for real. And then he sold the property to Disney. Uh, Disney then did the sequel trilogy... I really don't want to talk about them. I don't find there's anything interesting. To talk, yeah, we're not going to talk about that much at all, really. Um, yeah. And, what, I, uh, what I do want to talk about more um, okay. is the fact that they also did standalone films, which they hadn't done before. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them was Solo, which we will also not talk about because that's a fucking <laughs> mess. Um but the don't other you want to know? Don't you want to know why the, the Millennium Falcon has a has a gap in the front? No, I don't. Don't you want to know why that one line where they in the, in the original where they confused like fucking parsec for a unit of time is actually not a goof and no, is correct and shut the no. fuck up, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> See, this this is exactly what I was trying to avoid by going on any of the Wikipedia uh, Wikipedia articles. Excuse me. <laughs> don't you want to know it- why Han Solo's surname is Solo? Oh. 
Because uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> pee pee poo poo. It is a bad film. Um, it's because yeah. Han Solo is. It's because Han Solo is on. I feel myself. Wow, Rob, you're incredibly horny tonight. <laughs> like, yeah, okay. I'm just, you Bumper know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I want to talk about Rogue One, because Rogue One is a very good film that doesn't get enough ah, credit for yeah, what it does. Ah, did you, uh, just as an aside, yeah. did you also clip Nobody's Listening? No. <laughs> I did not have enough time to clip all the things I wanted to. Um, that there's something coming up later that I didn't want to read out. I wanted to just have as a fucking recording because I'm I'm trying not to just play bits of the episodes. Um, oh, we could. You know, can we just do that? That we, we can get all we all just get out of here and we just do like a massive copyright infringement for an we'll episode. Just, we'll, just fucking, <laughs> aye, we'll, we'll just we'll just riff tracks. Aye, why not? Um, no, we, we will not be doing that. Um, we will we will just be fucking. You can put video on Patreon now. It'll be fine. <laughs> I'm not mind if we just upload 12 episodes of a Disney fucking show I just, just turn it around just, just flip it fucking horizontally it'll be fine um, no I want to talk about Rogue One so Rogue One is a very very good film Rogue One didn't need to be made Rogue One is also like Solo and that it answers a bunch of questions that only nerds would ask but mm-hmm. it's good despite that uh, um, go on go on so I liked Rogue One when I was in the cinema, mm-hmm. and I liked Rogue One for about four hours after I saw it. But the more I thought about it, the more I was like, "That was that wasn't as good as it felt. It was entertaining, but mm-hmm. it's it's, it's but it they really put the does wrong suffer. number of pipes on those star destroyers, and it just will not stand." <laughs> no, 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 very good. no, it's sat at home it's, with like the fucking haze manual for all the ships, <laughs> like going through it, and just like cursing. <laughs> No, it, it suffers from exactly what we were talking about, which is the more you think about it, the more you realise that it really is just a masturbatory exercise in explaining minutia that only nerds want to know about, essentially. Sorry, David, I know I'm kind of doing you a bit here, but You're it is kind of... I disagree. It's an, excuse to, it's an excuse to watch Ben Mendelsohn chomp the furniture. It's oh, great. Ben well, Mendelsohn's no, so fucking good, isn't it? Yeah, fair He's enough. so yeah. fucking good. Um, but yeah, no, like, the reason it's a good one is because it does something completely different from all of the other ones. Um, Solo hadn't been released yet, so this is still technically true at the time. Um, it ha- well, actually, no, that one actually does include that shit, so it doesn't matter. Um, it doesn't have any fucking, like, space wizards or the big deal here thing going on. Mm, what about the four sensitives that are in as the obvious Chinese market inserts? They're not space wizards, though. Mm, okay. They're, they are not, like, independent individual actors with that as a, also, as a feature only, of there's them. Only one guy, there's only one guy that's force sensitive. Sorry, Jamie. Unless you count uh, Darth Vader. Yeah, okay, right. Fair enough. Oh, I've I, heard I of that one. <laughs> <laughs> I, I bow to our resident Wikipedia editor. Carry for, on. For, for, for a brief recap of the film, um, the, the Death Star is nearing completion. Someone who is working on the Death Star, uh, Mads Mikkelsen, has implanted a fucking defection in it that could easily destroy the thing. And the whole story is about how the plans for it end up in the hands of the Rebel Alliance. And it follows a small cell of Rebels as they fuck about trying to get a hold of these plans, and then when they do get hold of the plans, try to get them away um, yeah, into it, the hands it, of people it, that can On do the other hand, the movie it. does not, to its great shape, uh, shame, explain how, after it crashes, a certain knife was made that predicted the little forms of it. <laughs> <laughs> that's the second death star, so that's nothing to do with this one. <sighs> yeah, um, so, yeah. Oh, there was a second one. Huh. Yeah, yeah, they made two of them. Um, the first one was wow. just that good. So that's 
that's it. Like I say, like the, the main the main draw to it is Ben Mendelssohn is very good. But more importantly, it introduces us to Cassian Andor, a character who definitely, when watching that film, needed a prequel series to focus on. <laughs> yes, absolutely. 100% needed a prequel. Yeah. You fully had to know more about that character who definitely had a lot of development going on. Um, mm-hmm. one, one of the weaknesses in Rogue One is the fact that the characters aren't as well developed as they could be. Um, there were a whole series of fucking weird reshoots that occurred on that one um, with uh, Tony Gilroy coming in to deal with the reshoots. Um, so. You can actually see this, by the way, if you um, mm-hmm. if you watch the trailer for it yes. before you watch the main film. There are very obvious, fully developed scenes in the trailer which do oh, not There's full-on the character arcs that are changed. Um, uh, Jin Elso was supposed to be like an actual fully-fledged rebel soldier and from Ooh. the start of the film. But then they change her to, yeah, some fucking criminal with a family connection and that's why she's required. It's, there's a lot going on with the reshoots and a lot of it isn't really known exactly what's involved. But, uh, yeah, it, it's weird and the, the characterization either is made better than it originally was or suffers because of it, but it definitely changed a lot of things in that front. And Andor is just a kind of plot. He's there. Pusher. He's just there to move the plot along. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's, there is a bit of character development in, but not a lot. Um, he's... Nothing really to fucking scream about, so why why bother? It doesn't make well, any just, sense uh, to make it's a just nice to see Diego around. Luna get work, you know? It yeah. is nice to see Diego Luna get work. He is a very good actor and he should get more work. And he, he proves it in the Andor TV series as well. Like, I was mm-hmm. very surprised at the same character, different contexts, and he really does quite a bit with it in the Andor TV show. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, you know, every single fucking actor I can think of, bar maybe like one or two performances, are very good, and the one or two performances are very bit performancey, so mm-hmm. it doesn't really matter. But yeah, the, the 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 reason why Rogue One warrants a, warrants a sequel series is because it's got good politics, and that's something that's not consistent throughout Star Wars, although all of it, for the most part, is like quite political in a way. So, like, the, the they are all, to some degree, clearly anti-authoritarian in, in their writing. There's a clear anti-authoritarian bent to them, to varying degrees and in varying ways that you can view that. Uh, the, the original trilogy, for example, that's quite blatantly anti-authoritarian. Um, there's interviews with George Lucas about what he was kind of picturing with that. Um, and they are, to his, credit, to his credit, the interviews at the time as well. It's not like this isn't retconned. Yeah. He was thinking about mm-hmm. this when he was writing it. Yeah. And like his, his whole thing was that the Empire was a bit like America and the Rebels were a bit like the Viet Cong, which, you know, like a, a film series that began in 1977 and finished up in 1983. Um, that's pretty... You know, pretty out there, um, politically for a big, really well doing yeah, film. But what did what did the wills represent? <laughs> uh, capitalism. Um, I don't know. Um, I don't know, and he doesn't fucking know. But that's how it turned out, and it, it reads that way anyway. The prequel trilogy is slightly more interesting in its politics, and that <laughs> episode one and episode two, barring some reshoots, were done pre nine eleven. Mm-hmm. Um, no, sorry, that's incorrect. Um, episode two was filmed after nine eleven, um, but there were reshoots done after George Bush signed the Patriot Act. 
I don't know how much that really factors in because there's not a whole lot of the overtly fucking obviously political shit in episode two, but episode three definitely because that's where it is full on. Oh, democracy dies with applause or some shit like that. Like, yeah, it, yeah it's very one. fucking blatant what he's trying to fucking get on at there. But okay, fine. Uh, the sequel trilogy didn't have any politics, and um, yeah, that that's that's because it, it had politics. There was a there was a girl and a black guy in it. <laughs> the most political Star Wars has ever been. I've seen yeah. 18 hours of, like, one guy's YouTube about this. <laughs> <laughs> this is the thing, though. The, the, the problem with that is that it, it drastically... Those films drastically suffer because they're not trying to make any overt political point beyond... Uh, remember the Nazis? Do you remember them? Let's talk no, about they're not them. No, they're not even trying to say remember the Nazis. They're just trying to say remember Star Wars. And well, Star Wars had Nazi coding in its villains, therefore... See, if it wasn't for that one scene in Force Awakens, I would agree with you when, when fucking Hux is giving that address to all the troops and then they do their arm up in the air salute. If it wasn't for that one very, this is fucking Nuremberg little scene, mm. it would be completely devoid of anything beyond do you remember Star Wars? But sometimes J.J. Abrams remembers other things and <laughs> it's not good, but it's better than what it would have been if he hadn't remembered other things. Yeah, all right, I'll concede that point. Yeah, but while we're on the while we're on the subject of Force Awakens, what's your favourite accent in that film, David? <laughs> <laughs> so that trilogy was doomed from the start because they did that. But luckily, Andor <laughs> redeems this in almost every fucking way. I sh- yes, Andor is Andor is deeply political in language in a way that was pleasantly surprising, and is one yes. of the, the the things that really elevates it. Frankly, yes. well, considering one, one of the characters literally writes a manifesto and yes. not one of the oh. like weird incel yeah. ones. Yeah, we will go into, we will go into the manifesto. Yeah. Not, not a single melody fill of citation in sight in that manifesto. <laughs> <laughs> Andor's Breivik. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Foxy. Do you feel um, better now you've got that one out your head? Yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm like with a fucking good old intrusive thoughts. We love that. Um, so, yeah, we, all, the thing about all the Star Wars is politics, so again, we're just going to ignore the fucking sequel trilogy. They're all a mishmash of stuff. Mm-hmm. So, like, in the, the original trilogy, the, the Empire is America, but yet every single one of the officers has a British accent. So mm-hmm. there's a clear, like, fuck it, this shit kind of fits attitude towards well, it. It's because they were doing it for an American audience and mm. they needed that coding. Not, uh, yes, but no. Like I, I get why you would do that, but at the same time, there is a clear it's, point it's to be made actually, about the British Empire as well. because like British character actors are cheap. Also, yes, and, and not yeah, part actually, of yes. SAG yeah. after. By it's the way, be, Also just because Americans are further, just British, but just slightly more armored from reality. Yeah. Before we go any further, um, just in case anyone's like, why the fuck are you talking about this? There's a strike on, etc. We did look into this. Yes. We support the strikers in full. All solidarity to both SAG-AFTRA and the Writers Guild of America. They have said it's fine for us to do this, basically. There's, there's FAQs and stuff. We are not being paid by any production company to create this. We are not, in fact, promoting anything that is currently in development. Um, we're not talking about whatever the fuck season two of Andor is, and we will not be fucking thinking about what it might be i believe it's also f- through some fucking miracle of uh british trade union law being complete dog shit technically unaffected by those strikes um mm. because they do all the shooting and everything else here so 
we've checked it. We're fine on this, and we do support the strikes. So just yeah. in case anyone listening to this was like, "What the fuck are you playing at?" That's yeah. that. And link. also, you should out, support out us right on Patreon.com for slash Praxis Card. <laughs> fuck up, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and I, the way Disney's gone and or season two is going to be filmed with Lego with AI voices. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it will be complete dog shit if the um, strikes are not resolved and it is entirely on the hands of the production companies to make that happen in the right way. And if mm-hmm. they don't, then fuck them. Yeah, yep. my favourite part in uh, Andor Season 2 is where uh, Andor T-poses for like a fraction of one frame. <laughs> <laughs> no, like, he's not, he's not going to do that for the very simple reason that the visual production companies that do all the visual effects aren't unionised, which is part of this whole conflict that's playing out. Hooray, so, isn't it yeah. fun? But we're not going to mm. go into that in great detail because honestly this is going to be fucking long enough. It may be something we revisit down the line, um, but in the meantime, we'll just get back to this. So... Like I said, like it's a mishmash of stuff. Like there's a lot of different commentary going on. It's all generally got a kind of anti-authoritarian bent to it. Um, but Andor itself does all that again, but better. Um, mm-hmm. It's just it's just much more well realised than anything previously, and that it's better written, and that the characters are better developed, and that the places feel more real, which is an insane thing to say about a Star Wars product. But it's not just like against those. It's not just like anti-authoritarian. It's also for stuff, which the other ones aren't necessarily yeah. as much as they are for, like great anti-bad heroes. thing. Yeah, yeah, they're anti-bad thing, thing. But they, but they're only for. Well, what if a wizard <laughs> came in and helped us kind of get on with it? That would be good. It, it's great person theory type shit for a lot of it because it is doing like James said earlier the hero's journey type stuff. This isn't necessarily doing that because it's well no hold on it's doing the hero's journey it's just not doing fantasy which sounds really strange when we're talking about sci-fi but kind of but again like what if if i can go on like it's not just about andor the the show is fucking called andor but it's not about the character andor specifically it's about all of the things around them and it goes in it makes a lot of fucking pain and effort to go through into those things and exactly how his actions affect others and how you, you know, other people are react to those effects, um, but like I said, it, it's not just it's not just anti-authoritarian. It's also for things. It's for um, it's pro community. Like it likes it's, the idea of community. It shows community in a positive light. It shows the you know what happens with a lack of fucking good community. Um, mainly, it, it's it's key defined difference is that Andor is ideological and unapologetically so. Yes. Now, exactly what its ideology is is a matter you could have a big debate about, and I'd oh, like to not do that. But well, guess, guess what the fuck uh, we're about to do? Um, oh god! Because it's <laughs> it's it's pro community. It's pro sacrificing, like the, the individual sacrifice for the, in the name of a collective cause. It's it, it's pro movement building, and it's pro terrorism is good actually. Yeah, like. it's it's if you wanna if you wanna need summary, it's uh, basically what if J.R. Tolkien's Ents but in space. <laughs> it's not bad, not bad, Rob. Yeah. Oh, thank you so yeah. much. Yeah. No, no, I'm being entirely sincere. For coming to your performance review. <laughs> oh, so yeah, okay, like don't compliment the, Rob. Understood. The show is good. It's great. Like the the acting is fucking top notch. The writing is really good. The the set design is insane. The costume design is fucking really good. Which again, it's a Star Wars. It shouldn't matter, but it's very good and says things. Yeah. Um, 
There's this, even a little uh, robot uh, that didn't annoy the shit out of me, unlike all the other ones. I love yeah, the they make this, so this robot into a dog. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, a he's fucking, a family pet. man servant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> like, <laughs> it's so fucking uh, funny when someone flips that fucking thing over. <laughs> heartless bastard. Um, <laughs> the the other thing I, I I'm going to try and talk about it as we go through it. It's difficult for me because I'm a dipshit and I'm not fucking remotely well versed in it. But there is a lot of good cinematography involved here as well. Um, yes. The way that sh- some shots are framed, the way that some you know things are just very your eyes very obviously drawn to etc. So I'll try and pick out a few as we go um, as examples of this is fucking good and here's why. But like don't count on this being a very good fucking review of this. Um, yeah, but what we'll do is we'll just, we'll go through, we'll go through this uh, episode by episode to some degree. The, the the show itself is 12 episodes long. It is split up into four arcs in a kind of standalone episode. Um, and we'll just, we'll, we'll go through it episode by episode, but we'll maybe recap each arc as we go. I don't really know how this is going to work. This is a lot more than we would normally do in any one fucking recording session. We probably wouldn't even finish it in one recording session. So just fucking enjoy, like, as we go through this shit. Before we get into spoilers, can we take a minute to talk about the context of, like, Andor as a show? Because that's, like, this is a thing that I think Uh will convince a lot of people to actually give it a go. Yes. Who otherwise might roll their eyes and go, God, fucking Star Wars. Yes. So, okay. So, like, the thing about Andor is and i'll explain exactly what the other one is but it's in like a a cache of two in my mind there's two properties that are like this and they're very much of our time because in a sane world andor wouldn't exist and i don't mean that in the sense like um you know in a world without fascism there'd be no need for like a, a program like andor i mean like in a world where fascism is an element and where capitalism exists you would have a show like andor but it wouldn't be a disney property it would be its own thing but in our modern era of capitalism, in order to get something made, you have to, you basically have to go to one of these great behemoths and find like a gap in the schedule. Because like David said, there's, there's no reason, we don't need a backstory for Andor from this like, you know, fucking one note film that was released a while ago. What's happened is someone has spotted an opening here and decided to fill it and decided to make a show um, which otherwise couldn't get made and used that as the kind of opening for it. Mm. And... Sorry? No, that's not what happened here. You don't think so? I very much think no, so. No, it's, it's have... not what happened here. It's not like from interviews I've, I've had a look at this. This is not what happened. I know what you mean. That does happen a lot. Um, For a good example of that, look at uh, Foundation just now. Very, very loosely using the source material on that one to the point where they're barely using it anymore at all because they wanted to do some other shit and then Foundation was kind of like pushed over as a template and they went, can you make it fit this? Because I don't know, like, I think you're taking me to a literary, David. I'm talking about the ability to actually get politics into popular circulation. Possibly, but I, what I'm saying with this one is that it wasn't a case of we have an idea of a thing we'd like to do. We can't do it, but here's a Star War. Let's try and fit it into that. It was very much, here is a Star War project. What yeah, no, no, like no, to okay, no, it's to... To clarify, I'm not talking about someone sitting down and going, I've got this beautifully written story, let's hack it apart and turn it into a Star mm. War. I'm saying that someone's going, I've got issues I want to talk about, and the only way I'm going to be able to get them onto film is if I can find some way to bring them into the kind of commercial environment we exist in today. And thus you get Andor, 
which is a Star Wars property. And, you know, it's part of the mouse, you know, it's the, the mouse machine has created this small space and someone has used it to put something together. And that's what makes it interesting is it sets kind of limits on what Andor touches and what Andor can be and what Andor can do, which constrain it. And I think in, in the ultimate sense, undermine what it can be. Mm. But what it does within those limits is very, very good. Um, and to... Go on. I get that. I, I see, yeah, I get where you're coming from. I think, if anything, that possibly enhances it because there is already a kind of clear framework that is abstract from real life. So it's very well, easy it's to the, do things that you thing. couldn't do. Um you know, you, you can be outright and go, look, the terrorism is good. It would be very hard to do that if this was mostly set in Afghanistan. Or if it or if it was set in like a generic, like here's another sci-fi, you'd have to work a lot harder. Whereas yeah. Star Wars gives you an existing framework. And this is this is the other part. It's like there's a bit of a devil's bargain in it because it's meant that what Andor is about has reached people it otherwise would never reach in a million years. Yes. Like, Nelds, if this was which its is own... important to teach anti-fascism to, as we've learned over the yeah. last few fucking sequel films. Yeah, if, if Andor was just like some generic other sci-fi, there's a lot of people wouldn't even give it a second glance because they'd go, well, what's it about? And people would go, oh, well, it's about these politics. Nah, not interested. Whereas this is, it's a Star War, and thus mm-hmm. people are immediately in. But what's interesting is like there's things which just aren't touched in Andor, and I think they're very conscious decisions by the writers because there is a glaring, there's a gap. There's a gap in what Andor talks about. It doesn't talk about the media ecosystem of fascism whatsoever. And mm-hmm. I think that's quite intentional because it's made under Disney. Um, I, to a degree, it's also something that has never once been touched on in Star Wars. I, I, Having watched Andor, I've got enough faith in the writers behind it that they understand the subject matter and they know how important it is. They've just recognised that if we pick that fight, then we're not going to get this project through without a lot of like, possibly again, again, there's no there's no good framework for it to be to be clearly kind of like fed through, if you know what I mean. Which again, yeah, is is a limitation, and they've worked what inside it. Why we don't know for certain, but either way, I can see I can see both of them being true potentially even together. But um, mm. and that's yeah. this is a thing ultimately. Andor is a Star Wars show because it kind of had to be to get made. But what it's actually about, the ideas it talks about and how well it executes them, it's really something special. And I said this was, like, here's the thing. I don't think Andor's going to age well. I think in like 10 years or so, no one's really going to talk about it very much because it's so culturally contingent and dependent. And it's going to be undermined by the same thing that's given it a lot of cultural cachet right now. But it is interesting that it's come about in this moment. I said it's in a group of two. The other show that's, well, I say show, the other film that's remotely like this and nowhere near as good and not probably worth your time in the same way, but has a lot of the same impulses, is ironically, I'm not joking, it's Joker. Joker is another example of a film. Yeah. See, it's not though. Joker's shit. (laughs) This is the thing. It is. It's not. Joker is not as good. Um, but what you've got in Joker is someone wanting to talk about issues, failing to execute them anywhere near as well, but doing it through an available oh, kind of slot, a gap the, they've been able the to fucking, kind of cram the them thing into. In, the thing in Joker, I assume you're on about the, the like the the mass uprising against the rich in Joker, no, which happens entirely in the background and is like completely incidental. No, I'm not. The fucking the the message of Joker is that if incels just start shooting people who are mean to them, society will rise up and change in the background and make them a hero, and you won't have to no, do any hard work whatsoever. 
no, I'm not, and no, it's not. Um, J- Joker is essentially um, an attempt at a modern updating a taxi driver, more or less, and it's got explicit homages to Taxi Driver in it. It's, but it's specific, like this it's is getting a bunch to- of it's a bunch of other films made really badly by an idiot, is what it is. This, this is the thing. It's not as well executed, but the same impulse is there. It's someone who wants to take on a big cultural issue, and the only way they can attempt to do it is by getting a slot in an existing roster with an attached audience already in place. Therefore, you get Joker. Nah. Um, and Joker or is, is the- Joker is falling down for nerds and or is good. Yeah. Todd Phillips yeah. is a fucking wank and he is not trying to make some grand political point. He just... The, the closest it gets to like expressing an actual fucking opinion on anything is that bit on the talk show at the end where he suddenly pivots to doing jokes about dead children just so that he can like snap at cal- cancel culture despite previously all of his jokes being about like, you know, like just really childish shit. And, and anyway, it doesn't really make a political point because, oh, the whole thing might have been a dream. Ooh, it's so deep. No, I, Joker so is, Joker I don't is go- basically a Gary Glitter promo reel and we can leave it at that. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to get, I don't want to get deep into it. That's not my reading on it. But like, this is, this is the environment we live in. We live in a time where in order to get to make these kind of projects with ideas, you need to find funding. To find funding, nine times out of ten, you're going to need an existing attached IP. Yeah, and, and also it's, it's both its strength and a weakness. You know, um, I, I love I love whenever we talk about fucking Star Wars because we're like nearly forty five minutes into this recording, we've literally not talked about a single episode yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I am trying. <laughs> I, I, dis- I disagree completely with that thesis. I think Joker was made because Todd Phillips is the kind of like fucking incel dickhead who thinks the Joker is cool when he murders people and isn't funny. I don't think so, um, but I don't want to talk like this is not about well, the Joker. You have a lot more faith in the director of Hangover Part Three than I do. I give you that. Much. <laughs> Oh, let's let's <laughs> anyway. in, in good tradition. Let's agree to disagree and move. Fuck on. Oh, Glory Stewart, um, is that you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. Okay, so yeah, that spoilers from this point now. It's just going to be straight talking about what happens in the fucking show. So if you haven't watched it by this point, fuck off and watch it, and then you know yeah. twelve episodes it's later, we'll see then. Good. It's and very it's, good. As I've, been, as I've been saying to like fucking Alistair to get him to watch it, it's not Star Wars good either. It's actual good. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Important point to make. It doesn't just appeal to dickheads like me. It will also appeal to dickheads like you. Um, <laughs> so let's uh, let's begin. So the very first arc of this, which I've just called the Ferex arc, which is you know nice and simple. It, this is very introductory it has to start it doesn't even introduce us to all the main characters three fucking episodes in it is a very slow burn um yeah which i what enjoyed if space, what if space had a north <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah yeah almost like almost too much um and like it, it really does take the piss almost with how fucking far it goes into that but again yeah it's it's about building there's also, like, communities there's also and stuff. Flash, flashbacks to like his childhood Yes, mm. on like on some like uh, planet where every all the adults were taken away to work in pit or something like that. Yeah, and yeah, well, uh, the kid the kids had to live in the woods. But like, what was great was we, I think we were like Lord of to flies. I <laughs> <laughs> we were we when I watched when I rewatched this with my mom. Um, we were two episodes in and we'd seen about six of these flashbacks before she just went, "Who were these children meant to be?" <laughs> <laughs> It's very clearly simple. Never mind. It's, I'm not even going to fucking start an argument with your mother and her fucking ability to watch TV. It's a fucking... That's just a, a doomed fucking venture. The, right. when, 
so speaking of those flashbacks though it does remind me that well while i was watching this i forever had this feeling of like is this a reference to something else i'm just completely unaware of is this something i should know about like if no, well, being, see, being a star yeah. wars person now see, this is, what, this what you've got to, what you've got to do heel. is is just not give a shit. This is how I watch Star Wars, you know, and why I'm yeah. constantly beefing with the fucking people on our like Patreon Discord about the extended universe. It's shit, folks. Don't write in. Yeah, um, fucking, I just don't care. Do you know what I mean? I don't give a fuck about why Han Solo like shoots with his fucking right hand or whatever fucking bullshit. Like, but just, this is this is what I mean a about fuck. it being a, a devil's bargain, though, because on one hand you get this automatic built-in audience. On the other hand, they're all on the other hand, they all nerds do like fucking eight-hour Twitch streams about why it's bad because there's bricks in it or some. Shit. <laughs> yeah, and like your average person who comes to it, like there's a lot of assumed knowledge in this. Like even, you know, unless you are coming to it totally fresh like Alistair is, you kind of, you know, you, you don't notice it because you've been culturally exposed, but a lot of people will come to this fresh. It doesn't stand as its own thing, is the thing. I disagree. And that's to its, that is what will undermine it longer term, I think. What? How? Yeah, what, what no, in it no is one, like, no one what in it is complicated. Was. Like, there's nothing really in it that you need to know about Star Wars to understand. It's like... I mean, don't get me wrong, any, I, I got it. Like, yeah, but like there, there aren't, aren't any... There, yeah. there aren't any space wizards. There aren't any otters to fuck. There's no, like, fucking <laughs> reptiles that have a bubble that turns off force powers. So if you just, like, <laughs> surround you oh, Skywalker God. with enough of them, you just yeet reptiles at him for ten minutes, then you can just oh, walk up and fucking oh, double tap him. Oh, my brain is is, ev- is everyone looking forward to Ahsoka? <laughs> Oh, you've just Jamie has just fucking unlocked memories from our childhood. I didn't even know I fucking had, and I hate you for it. Yeah, God, they're called like, but, they're but, called um, they're called you Salamiri, um, and I laugh yeah. because I hate myself. Um, yeah, well, you don't hate me as much as this. This is this is what I was afraid of learning. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. This is why all learning is bad. This is why once we are going to send all the editors of Wikipedia to the countryside and break their glasses. Yes, yeah, so uh, <laughs> Jamie. Jamie is at strictly anti-computer, and I'm not. I'm now anti-printing press. <laughs> We're all anti-printing press in this podcast. If we get ri- all, I'm saying is, if we get rid of Wikipedia, how will nerds learn what breast is? <laughs> it's probably better oh. they don't. Yeah. Anyway, let's um let's actually kick in. So I've got um I I went away yeah. and found forty five minutes in. Let's dive right in. Yeah, let's start. <laughs> yeah. Um, Welcome to peace at home, time. motherfuckers. <laughs> David's right. This thing is divided into arcs because the actual structure Andor is really simple. It's dead simple. It's the execution that makes it amazing. There's escape arc. There's um fucking heist, heist arc. There's prison escape arc and there's rescue arc. That's for that's Andor essentially, but that doesn't matter. That's just the background that allows you to tell the rest of the story. So arc one, the Ferrix arc, is about yes. escape. Uh, yeah, um, kind of. Yeah, it's 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 origins, it's escape, but it's it's more than anything. It's it's scene setting. It just it sets mm-hmm. up all the players. It puts them where they are. It shows you who's got the power. It shows you who's not. It shows you. Um, the, the relationships between individuals and different areas of society it, it's just it's very fucking good there's, there's so much in it right so I've got little synopsis of each episode I'm just going to quickly run through the synopsis um, feel free to stop me whenever there's a point that you feel must be made um, I've got the 63 pages of notes I have are mostly scene breakdowns of every single fucking episode because again I hate myself Um yeah, you are just, a world-class uh, pervert. I, I appreciate that. 
Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. If anyone disease. on this podcast would, it would be you. Exactly. Um, <laughs> this is the do one it again next week. Do not get excited. No. <laughs> David brings the same energy to writing Star Wars show notes as I do to assembling Skyrim mod lists, and I love him for it. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. I am mentally ill, that's right. Um, mm. So, uh, five years before the Battle of Yavin, which was one of the first things that Alistair remarked on in his watch through. <laughs> <laughs> it says 5 BBY and it does kind of expect you to know what that means but it also mm-hmm. doesn't fucking matter at all so it, yeah, I think that's a nice way <laughs> it's a nice way of setting that out of oh what does that mean I don't know and then you realise it doesn't matter at all you can treat the rest of the Star Wars stuff exactly like that so it's actually yeah. kind of clever to put that in right at the very start yeah I yeah, mean I saw, I saw from not that you from, picked up in that <laughs> so from this point onwards it was very much a uh, a process of just like it's just like there's there's no like everything is like an amorphous blob and things only matter if they're like really like significant to the story everything else just whatever yeah like st- spaceships uh, whatever just 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 they're just there if they need to be and if not uh, don't yeah. worry about it yeah andor is definitely at its worst the more it touches on the start like there's this section there's a section later on where they mention the emperor um i just had a conversation with the emperor and just the word sheave comes scything through your brain and everything goes <laughs> but, that, but that's like that's that that's a bell curve though the majority of people sit in the middle of that well, they don't uh, know Sheev is the Emperor's name. And then you've you got see, people who don't know anything about this that go, mm, is that something to do with it? That seems important. And then you get people who know too um, much about Sheev who are like, fuck off, this is not the right place to bring this up. That's a good point about it, though. It treats like the Emperor and everything everything in the wider universe the same way the original did, where it just mentions it, but it doesn't mm-hmm. like fucking write a 17 like fucking yeah. page Wikipedia article about like why he's called that. Should have just, uh, yeah, should right. have just so, left it at P of Shalpatine and then it would have been fine. <laughs> it, it also takes great pains to not show him in any way, shape or form, even though there is a perfect couple of opportunities to do so because mm-hmm. he's a cackling cartoon character. Um, <laughs> not even waving just... about on his Dr. Robotnik arm. I know. Sad times. <laughs> it's just better not to do it and like that yeah. just makes sense the, the show is quite happy to just not touch on stuff that would fucking undermine it which is nice yeah, the, less, very, the, um, less the, the less the story referenced Star Wars the better it was I found yeah <laughs> it's very um, it's very reminiscent of the fucking like uh, committee meeting in the in first uh, first ever Star Wars you know where Vader's like strangling mm-hmm. that guy at the fucking dinner table mm-hmm. or whatever the fuck they're doing <laughs> Waiting for waiting for the Yorkshire puddings to come out and like everyone's talking about fucking ancient ancient religions from like what like twenty years ago. Yeah, uh, yeah. George Lucas again um, didn't really know what he was doing at the start, so never mind. Um, but yeah. I just got the phrase. I've just got the character of Ben Chalpatine in my head now, doing his fucking podcast about why the Emperor is right. Just curse you, Rob. Yeah, well, oh. you said mouse machine earlier, and ever since all I've been able to think is homo- soup like homogenate. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Thought we weren't talking about Ahsoka. Um, actually, that's more like, that's that's the Obi One show. Actually, if if that's anything, that's what the Obi One show is. Um, yeah, so five years before Battle of Yavin, um, Cassian Andor travels to the industrial planet of Morlana One on the trail of his missing sister. Can I pause right here for yes. a cinematography mention? Yes. Um, the opening of this show basically puts its credentials on the table. The mm-hmm. very first setting establishing scene is an overt homage um, and like ode to Blade Runner. 
and yes. it does it incredibly well. It's not it's not totally like it's not ugly or crass. It's subtle. It it's very well merged. But for example, this is one of the few scenes where people are getting on with life where it's shot primarily from below emphasizing the height of things there's strong use of contrasting light and darkness um everything about the aesthetic is basically keyed in to be right okay imagine star wars but it's being done with the sincerity and the style and the intelligence of blade runner and it's very it's very very strong and, visual and also stage there's jess quigley from coronation street and also that. <laughs> it begins <laughs> 54 minutes in before we got a fucking mention of some cunt from something else that's a new record <laughs> Uh, so yeah, um, he's searching for it. He goes to a brothel in in this industrial shithole uh, to look for his sister, and he's antagonised by two premor authority security officers who are just cop pricks and immediately made yeah. clear as cop pricks, and it, it is absolutely unashamed about calling cops pricks by showing you what yeah. cops are. Like it's yeah. so oh, good. There's straight, no good cops in the- this. Straight out of the gate, the opening thesis of the show is you should shoot the police. Yes. <laughs> Always morally correct. And, this and, is a Disney so Star Wars. I, 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 know, I know they're not quite called pre-war. It's something more than that. But I, I've just got like having <laughs> having a post-war cigarette in my, in my head. <laughs> <laughs> What's great about the altercation of the police as well is, right, so he, he kills the police. One of them accidentally. And what I really love about it is in the scuffle, the one who's killed accidentally, there's no emphasis given to it. He just falls over in the background and then you it's revealed he hit his head and fucking died, uh, which is nice. It's understated. It's very much focused on like the character's perspective. But mm-hmm. then when it goes to, like he sees, the, the other cop realizes, oh shit, I'm a witness to a murder of a cop and tries to, they both realize it. They both realize if that other cop lives, then Cassian Andor is fucked. And so you see them both realize it. You see the cop pleading. You see Cassian rationalizing through going, I've got no choice. And then you see him make the decision to kill the cop. And it's very well done because it's very realistic because you see him harden himself. And when he shoots the cop, he's looking him, he shoots him right in the, in the head, looks him straight in the eyes. And you see him force himself to be like wrathful in that moment and then kind of shut it down and just move on. And it's very... It's very survivor. It's very true to form. It's excellent character establishment, and mm-hmm. it's not overacted. It's, this it's was really basically good. the point where I thought, oh, this could actually be good because, like, there was that scene, yes. and I was like, yeah. this is gonna, this is a Disney product, so he's gonna be like the main character has to be like a raging moron and just let the other guy live, mm-hmm. and then it's be like, oh, turns out I can't trust the cops. Like, no, you blow the cops head off. It's good actually. Yeah, it, it is an incredible way to make me immediately fucking go. This character is cool. I like this character. <laughs> Thank you for letting this character murder a cop in cold blood. I love it. Um, the other thing to note as well, like that, the way that we've just said that makes it sound like this happens in the brothel. It doesn't. He leaves the brothel and the cops tail him to rob him. Yes. Yeah. Cops are cunts. Because, They're the worst. Because they got he got served before them in the brothel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the, the high crime of being served before a cop. Well, um, he was served oh. before them and he gave them, this, he gave them lip. He stared them down. Aye. And he challenged, you know, he challenged their authority and they're like, no, we're not having any of that. Yeah. So uh, Cassian then flees to the planet Ferex, where he attempts to hide his involvement by convincing his adopted mother, Marva's droid, B2 Emo. Hit, look, yeah, later, that's just, an incredible yeah. name for a, for a fucking robot as well. It's, it's, yeah, it's just fucking They don't great. ever use it. They don't ever use it. 
No, they don't. It's just B2. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and his friend Brasso to cover for him. So, like, the. Brasso's fucking incredible. Oh, he's well, I, I want to get on Brasso in a minute. B2 is fucking great in the way that he's introduced because it, the introduction is just him rolling through the empty streets. Like, quite clearly, it's very early morning. And it's just him going through the empty streets. So, we get a good look at the place. We can quite clearly see this is a real fucking set. So, some effort's mm-hmm. been put in here. It looks dirty. It looks lived in. It doesn't look like something that's been shot out on that volume thing they've got for the Mandalorian and everything else. It's just very nice to see. And and the place, like, from having that kind of empty setting to start off with, gets built up as it goes and they they add more Mm -hmm. and more to it. Not through, like, changing the set or anything, but by adding people to it, by adding events to it. And it becomes a kind of living, breathing character of itself almost. And it's very fucking good. And I like the way that they establish it from empty, but with good reason for it being empty, not as some sort of like weird aberration, just the fact it's like 4 a.m. There's no cunt up yet. Also, it's worth mentioning about this place. It's all built primarily from red brick. Yep. And like from the very fundamental, literal (laughs) building blocks of this, like the politics of a place are being embedded in. And like Jamie and David have said, it's the North. It's the North. It's, It's coded as the North. And yeah, yeah the chief so um, the chief industry is clearly like scrap. It's it's mm-hmm. it's bre- there's breakers yards, there's um, there's like part shops, there's places that clean things up and sell them on as salvage, that kind of stuff. Uh, there's little cafes and bars. It's just it's a living place, and there's more to it that, and we'll get to it. But um, yeah, we we meet B two. He fucking goes to to find and or like hiding away in a fucking ship in the middle of a scrapyard. It's just, that's just where he seems to hang out and sleep when he's not at home. He's got a little home away from home type deal um, when he's out on the piss or whatever else he's doing. It's it's also established that that's where he hangs out when he's avoiding his creditors, which yes. is a really nice touch. It's yeah. like, oh, that's yeah. why he's got this place. Yeah. What I like though is great. that's the, like in the flashbacks, it's established that's the ship that, like that's the first spaceship he flew in. Mm-hmm. The one yeah. to rescue him in from like the fucking... Uh, from Canary. From the yeah. mining planet, yeah. Yeah. Um, so B2 is great. BB2 is um, a dog, as we've said. He's just a fucking yeah. family pet. He has a stutter, which is like an insanely the, fucking weird thing to give a droid. But What if the dog from Up had had worse anxiety? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the stutter is clearly like, it's clearly, oh, this thing's old as fucking barely works. And that's like, that keeps getting pushed like the cunt is constantly having to charge it's it's a broken ipod like you can take it off charge for five minutes before you need to plug the cunt back in um, they also they emphasize this there's a flashback when yes. you know to when Andor is a child getting picked up and bb's there and he doesn't have the stutter and he's yeah. all brand new yes. and uh he's very quick and it's like yeah it's, it's great they've shown this is the old family dog and it's yeah. so it's it's a character realization of what most of Star Wars just uses as like set dressing. It's very nice. It's also a very interesting and fun way that they get around the problem of droids in Star Wars, which is a whole fucking thing, which I will not get into because that's 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 <laughs> yeah, that's if not you try to get into that, they, they, if you try to get into that, they fire you and give Ron Howard your job. <laughs> but, but, but. <laughs> But David, why wouldn't you want to talk about the moral implications of slavery of sentient beings? Because I, can't I do. Think why? Because I do want to talk about it, and we'll be here forever if we talk about that as well. <laughs> but yeah, Alistair, the shorthand is that all the droids are basically fucking slave people, um, and oh, they right, have man. no rights or fucking social standing whatsoever. But yeah, this they droid, have an they uprising bypass. in Solo, and it's played as an irritation. 
Yeah, mm. it's, it's a joke. It's played for laughs. It's, it's fucking bizarre that like they should never have touched on that. Or at least if they should have, they should have done it well. Um, but yeah, so anyway, um, B2 is the little fucking, just the, the dog. And, and he's great. And I love him. Um, Brasso was the other one that we come to. So this is like, this is great. So it's it moves on later on um, in the day. Andal's moved back into the town. Uh, we get people moving about. The streets are starting to get busy. Cafes are opening up. People are setting up the shops. And we see a big wall of gloves just out in the mm-hmm. open. It's just gloves and gauntlets. And it's just, they're all just hanging there. Like you can just walk up and take them. It's fine. But it's the fact that they're all just hanging there. Like, there's no worry about theft. There's no worry. It's, this isn't a work area. This is in the middle of the town. There's no worries about that because, and that reinforces the idea of this is a, an open and trusting community, which yeah. is just, it's all completely unsaid, but it's just there and it's, it's, oh, I love it. It's also brilliant because they're hanging on a wall outside what is very explicitly the Union Hall. And the mm-hmm. Union Hall's design is fantastic because the, the Union Hall opens and the door to the Union Hall is designed as a couple of, the only way I can describe them is like um, sewer-like covers kind of roll out of the way, they're textured like sewer covers mm-hmm, almost, mm-hmm. and these big circular doors. And so immediately you're suggesting and implying like, the, these are guys who work hard in manual labour in what's considered a dirty job, but it's all <laughs> yep. done with like such a gossamer-like touch. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I yeah, just like, <laughs> these guys like to work hard, but they also like to play hard. That's just the- <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, And yeah, so it's like, they're also hung there as like a sign of pride is the thing. And what's interesting is there's one bit on the wall which doesn't have gloves hung. And it's it's conspicuously like like cinematography. It's it's caught and it's dwelled on for a second. And at the end of this conversation we're about to talk about, um, you know, uh, Brasso tells um, Andor to get back to work. And so the implication is that Andor did work with the union for a while. And he's dropped away and there's like a gap. He's the, he's the only one who doesn't have pride in what it is they do here. He's the only one who doesn't belong to the community. But none of this is spelled out. It's just like stuff you can put together yeah. as it goes on. And it's it's just so, it's intelligently done. And it, it's not just intelligent in the sense of, oh, the writer's so intelligent. It's like the writer trusts in the intelligence of the viewer to get the vibe of it and to yeah. put it together. And it's yeah. just so lovely. It's so yeah. good. The, the writing and the, the set design um, and the cinematography all together just does do such a good job. The the set design and stuff was done by one of the same guys that did Chernobyl, mm-hmm. which like show because that was an incredibly fucking like the amount of effort and detail they went into to make sure they had like the correct equipment and stuff like that. Oh, so that's how they got the uh, the mining guy it- from Chernobyl in. Yeah, probably. I think that, yeah, there's, that there's may be a, a connection. Yeah, there is quite a few of them. Obviously, you've got fucking Skarsgård as well. And it's that's like uh, Lonnie, is it? Yes. Yeah. 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 It's a um, small industry. If like someone's there to vouch for you, then you're going to get a call. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and like, the, the, some of the casting choices are just fucking great. And we'll go on there. In fact, actually, mm-hmm. one thing I want to just hark back to, right? So obviously, Diego Luna is uh, Mexican. Um, one of the things that the cops shout at him as they are coming up to him to harass him is asking him if he swam over from the landing site. Yeah. Yeah, like, right. Oh, 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 you are doing a politics. Um, so, yeah, there's there's like just so many fucking little details like that that just add a little bit extra to it, um, which is another thing. Like, I mean, like racism is not something that is really ever handled at all if at all well in any way, shape, or form in Star Wars. 
Um, uh, and, I, I beg to differ. Fucking everyone remembers episode four, and we don't serve their kind here. <laughs> well, yeah, yes. This is the thing. So there's there's lazy shorthand. The, the droids are fucking shorthand <laughs> for it. Sometimes the the expanded universe took a kind of great pain to say, "Oh, the Empire's anti-alien," but it never really came through properly in any like, it's, actual it's an, live it's action stuff. Anti-alien, except for that one blue guy who became yeah. like king or some shit, because yeah. it just proves that if all the other minorities just applied themselves. <laughs> Yeah, it, it falls apart fucking quite fucking books. easily. <laughs> oh. So, yeah, um, it, 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 when he's talking, when Andal's talking to Brasso, there's um, a great, so he's trying to set up alibis. He's trying to make sure that you know, yeah. if the cops come looking for anyone, he's got his story straight. So he, he says to um, he says to Brasso, after, after establishing where Brasso was the previous night, that he was also with him. Um, but he's his face is fucked up, like he's got a cut yeah. on his face yeah. from the fight with the cops. And Brasso is like, "Come on, fuck!" Like he, he doesn't want to be involved in this, but he's like, "Right, okay." But and he, he but he does it without any fucking like protest or fucking. Oh yeah, yeah, you know, none at all. Yeah. It's all in his it's, face. It's all it's yeah. all just fucking facial expression of like. <sighs> right, okay, and then but he, yeah, he's, he's sick of his shit, but at the same time, fuck the police. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, whatever, it's, it's, whatever it's also, bother it's, you're in, it's okay because you're part of you are part of the community. As much as like others might not consider you part of the community, I do. Like obviously, he's a friend, um, and, and he modifies the alibi and quite yeah. expressly yeah. fucking details it back to Cassian exactly what happened. And it's like, right, okay, that's fine. You should get back to work, please. And that's it. It's it's great because he, all he says, the only word he says is seriously, was he looks at him yeah. and Cassian says, I need this. And that, that's it. That's all that has to be said. All, yeah, all and he, required. And, and what's beautiful is when he modifies the alibi, he modifies it to explain the wounds that Cassian yes. has yeah. by saying, yeah, and you were a cunt to me last night. And the reason you've shown up now is not to get our story straight. The reason you've shown up now is to apologise for being a cunt and me beating you last night as an a constable you know, to make up. for seeking it's, an alibi. It's just, it's yeah, so good. It's, it's very, very well done. And again, at no point do they explicitly say we are establishing an alibi. It's all like, either you can pick this up or you can't. Roll with mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. It's very good. Uh, Cassian also asks his friend Bix to connect him with a black market buyer as Cassian has acquired a Starpath unit, which is a valuable piece of Imperial navigation technology. Bix agrees yeah. and contacts the buyer, but her attempts to hide her connection with Cassian make her boyfriend, Tim, suspicious. Why is it always a Tim? Like, fuck's sake. <laughs> Fucking hell. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, so Tim also, is also, the worst Scottish fucking cast member. If you're keeping score, you don't need to know what a Starpath unit is. I don't no. know, and I'm fucking happy. So. Yeah. Also, it, it's all that's said about it is it's something that's sealed, and that you know the fact yeah. it's still got seals is important. It is, also, it is a hard to get piece of equipment. All, all the best things come sealed, like individual, mm-hmm. individually wrapped He-Man jelly sweets in the eighties. <laughs> <laughs> also, David has touched on it. We have our first Scottish character in Tim, and uh, this is where the politics of accents start to creep into Andor beautifully. A little but bit. Carry yeah. on, David. Yeah. Um. Tim. Tim's the dickhead. Uh. Tim does not like his wife's boyfriend, Andor. Um. And is very fucking shady about him. Bix and Andor like clearly have an established relationship already, but it's not a yeah. great one. Um. She's very much it, sick of his shit. It is very much. She clearly used to sleep with him once upon a time and got to know him and decided that she was fed up with his bullshit. 
yeah. but they, you know, they're still friends, sort of. It's in that kind of, I know you so well that I'm never going to be able to be rid of you, but I'm reconciled to this, but I still am sick of your shit. And yeah. it's, it's very well portrayed on screen. Yeah, what yeah. I like is that they're, they're running a racket together, like stealing stuff off fucking ships that come in to be junked by like bribing people or whatever. But like when he when she finds out he's got the fucking magic box to sell to a black market guy, she accuses him of like uh, holding out on her. And he accuses, he says like that he knows she's been skimming off the top, so don't take the high road. Yeah. And I just like that they're both like fucking on the take. You know what I mean? It's, but not in yeah. a serious, like not in a serious way or anything. It's just like, yeah, we're, you know, everyone, everyone loves money. Yeah. We're all yeah, like and, and yeah. They, they, they both like, you know, they're, they're playing it, they're playing at it. They're not like deathly serious with each other about it. Like she's not actually deeply offended that like he's kept the box to himself. She's just pissed off because it's money. And it's, it's, it's so well done in that they, they both clearly know exactly who the other person is and it yeah. matters for the later part of the show. Yeah. Um, moving on, we go back to Morlana one and we meet one of the biggest cunts in the <laughs> fucking galaxy. That's so good. Yeah. <laughs> so this this lets us meet um Cyril Khan, um the galaxy's the biggest name, incel. I have Cyril to say the name. <laughs> yeah, the name. The name is beautiful. Like I, I said, why does it always have to be a fucking Tim? Why does it always have to be a Cyril as well? It's so good. Like uh hats off to them. This is good Star Wars names. God forbid me saying it. Yeah. So yeah, he's basically like, what if a school shooter decided not to go through with it? <laughs> <laughs> what if, what what if, if a school shooter decided that if, in a few years he could be a passive observer? Yeah, <laughs> I love, I love the, um, I love the fucking like the boss who just does not give a fuck either. The boss is oh, brilliant. Yeah, it's this so is, this fucking is the, good. This is the scene that really sold me on Andor. This, yeah. this scene we're about to describe is what made me go. This is not your usual fare. This is something special. Yeah. So the it's uh, the chief inspector sat at his desk. Uh, the chief inspector played by that cunt you know from things. Um, yeah. And <laughs> uh, the, the bloke so, from the bed and breakfast at the start of four weddings and a funeral. <laughs> <laughs> How do you do that? <laughs> See, the same way that B two has to go back and charge like every couple yeah. of hours. Jamie has to plug into IMDb and just absorb random <laughs> shit. Um, so they're having a conversation about the fact that two cops have been murdered. This is a bad thing, apparently. Cyril is very fucking hit up about it. The boss doesn't yeah. really care. Uh, the boss in the middle of this pulls up Cyril, asking if he's modified his uniform. <laughs> he has. <laughs> I love when he's. I love when he's reading the file and he's like fucking. Uh, He's like, oh, Jesus, one of these guys was Jez Quigley. I fucking hated that cunt. You know what I mean? Like, I'm surprised he didn't die earlier. You know, like yeah. Jim McDonald didn't like him selling coke to Leanne Battersby. Ooh, he's a wrong in that lad. I've just, I've just realised realized who this guy is, and it's Arnold Rimmer. <laughs> Cyril oh. is Arnold Rimmer, yeah. What also helps, by the way, I, I, like actual serious political commentary here, the bit about tailoring is really important because it's your very first suggestion that this guy is a fascist. Yeah, it's aesthetics. Um, a, he loves the aesthetics. Yeah, it's the, it's the aesthetics and the myth and the story over the reality, and it drives his every action that we're about to see. So, sorry, back yeah. to you, David. No, no, so, so they, they have a conversation. Cyril's very hit up about the fact that this is bullshit, um, and, and he's mad that the boss doesn't want to do shit about it. He's like, yeah, just fucking, it's not important. It's fine. 
don't worry about it. Um, Cyril says, but they were murdered. <laughs> and the inspector says, no, they were killed in a fight. They were in a brothel, which we're not supposed to have, the expensive one, which they shouldn't be able to afford, drinking Revnog, which we're not supposed to allow. Both of them supposedly on the job, which is a dismissible offence. They clearly harassed a human with dark features and chose the wrong person to annoy. I suspect he died rushing to aid someone in distress. Nothing too heroic. We don't need a parade. They died being helpful. Something sad but inspiring in a mundane sort of way. <laughs> fucking great. It's fucking great, like, yeah. It's, it's also, so I, what I love about this scene is it's the polar opposite of, like, every fucking scene with the, the police chief in, like, a cop film, mm. you know, where the chief's like, fucking, oh, God damn it, I told you to, like, leave the fucking mayor alone or whatever, you know, and like that, that sort of thing, except, like, you, you side <laughs> with the boss because no one gives a fuck about, like, two fucking dickheads getting, like, like written off, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah this also, is how you know it's well written, because the, the guy in charge of the cops does not want to look into anything that might fuck up the, the image of the cops. Yeah. It's also really good because, like, Cyril has explicitly been up all night trying to put together his report, and the police chief just, like, instantly sizes up exactly what happened. Like, yeah. he's good at his job, and he's yeah. better than Cyril at his job, but this, you know, this annoys Cyril on a deep level. You can see his expression as the police chief is just putting together the threads that Cyril has been working on it all night. Yeah, because yeah, he's Cyril, the worst thing you Cyril, can possibly be. A job yeah. Cyril believes the yeah. myth yes, of what he they're does. doing. Yeah, oh yeah, he's he's one of two, like, real true believers in this, um, but he's the wrong one. Um mm. No, there's a third. Because so, yeah. Cyril gets like a little, little, um, like a little, little violence guy, like a little uh, brown shirt to help him f do see, like, I, the first I, arrest. I, I would argue that by the end, you could like you can see he's not a true believer. We'll we'll get to that later, yeah. I yeah. think, because Cyril's yeah, an important we will character. We'll get to that in about seventeen episodes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So Karn fucks off, but his boss is away to some fucking meeting um, with like Imperial Sector Command or some shit like that. Yeah, um, the, the, I, I he's got to give a report on crime statistics, and the the object, the aim of that, if you're ever called upon to do it, is brevity. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Don't don't put your feet up on my desk while I'm gone. Uh, just a, a total fucking disdain for the little shitbag, and he's right. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> But he is a fucking dickhead and doesn't listen to any of this. He's determined to solve the case. He it just it, it is a real shame that that commander only turns up like what two more scenes throughout the whole show. One yeah. more, I think. One, yeah, just yeah. the one more scene. Yeah. Um, <laughs> to deliver one great line of "but I had nothing to do with this." <laughs> <laughs> I also I also love the fact they they avoid the having the scene where he goes, "You did what?" Like, yeah. they, there's no need for that. They don't they don't indulge it. It's like that's not important. Yeah. We understand the dynamic. That's all that matters. Because you and, know what that scene would actually be? It would be him learning yeah. about it second hand and just going for fuck's sake, and that would be the end of it. Yeah. He wouldn't bother yeah. confronting him. Um, so uh, Cyril identifies Cassian's borrowed ship and traces it back to Ferex, and he learns from an eyewitness at the brothel that Cassian said that he was from the planet Canary, um, which you know will become important soon. Um, and a series of flashbacks, we've had a couple of flashbacks already on this, but it's back to Canary, a younger Cassian uh, called Cassa um, and his tribe of children um, well, yeah. that he's part of, he's not the leader of it. Uh, what decide. I um, what I love about that is like there's a mention later on about like um about everyone died in some kind of mining accident. Yeah. 
and like the, the planet's off limits and his mom tells him to like stop looking for his sister because it's a fantasy no one survived like Canari yeah. but like when you're actually there there is a shot of the like strip mine as yeah. they're off going to like investigate the crashed ship but all the kids are like in the in the like you know jungle tribe are dressed in what is quite clearly outfits made from their parents work clothes yes, yes. And it's one of the, uh, again, cinematography is one of the prime examples of this show's excellent use of colour as both distinguishment and as like an ideological suggestion, because they're yes. all in yellow versus the jungle green. And when they come to it, like, so a, a ship has crashed on the planet, the jungle, you know, a lot of the Flyers kids have all banded together to go check out the wreck. And when they get there, they find there's a couple of guys that appear dead. Um, they're all, the skin's turned yellow and there's a well, strange yellow well smoke. Here, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's blowing out the thing, and it's like it's the use of yellow um, to contrast against the green and to suggest, like, well, it, in many ways, it's to, it's to suggest something that shouldn't be there, yeah, and also to kind of suggest something that is, in many ways, kind of poisonous or poison adjacent. Like, no one should be able to survive on this planet; it's poisonous, and yet here are these children who have literally grown up among the poison and are wearing its colours. Yep. And it's it's just really very nicely put together. Anyway, back to you, David. Yep. Sorry. Uh, yeah, no, so just like as far as this episode goes, um, uh, they see the, the ship crash and the kids start getting together. They put the war paint on um, to leave and Cassian gets his younger sister to not join them and just stay back at the, at the camp. Uh, and that's it. That's the episode. Um, so which brings us on to episode two. So uh, this one, uh, Tim... Uh, still suspicious of Bixie's relationship with Cassian, reports him to Primal Security because he's a fucking shitbag mm-hmm. who then issue a warrant for his arrest. This one's actually quite fun. Like, I think he, actually I may go through this spies, most of the scene, this one. He spies on Bix's computer because he thinks Cassian's emailing his wife. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that is... He that reads is. her DMs. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, and, and he sees this fucking APB that Cyril has made a point of putting out uh, looking for him. Um, it starts off, the episode starts off on Canary, so we just see the kids walking through the forest and then we see the big fucking abandoned strip mine. Yeah. Then we get, we get the coolest guy in the whole fucking show, the Time Grappler. Yes. The dual wielding hammer guy. guy who fucking owns. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> this guy's it, it, job it, it, is to be at the town clock. In the post-scarcity, like, communist future, all I want to do is this guy's job. But, like, not, you know, 24 yes, hours a day. I just want to, like, when I feel like it, I'll turn up and, like, just hit a, <laughs> hit a big metal thing with some hammers. And, like, ah, it'll it's just Rob's be awesome. turn with the hammers today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the um, that's the really scrawny drug, uh, drug dealer from Dead Man's Shoes as well. <laughs> <laughs> What's great about this is it's, it's a little bit of poetry that's been introduced into it because it's, you know, guys on top of a tower with a big anvil beating it with hammers to mark, like, the start of the day and key points throughout it. And it's like, the town literally moves to the beat of the Industrial Forge. Like, yep. it's, it's, it's it's just wonderful. It's just, like, this, a lovely man, little bit of flavour. This man is a Flintstones pterodactyl. Yeah. <laughs> but also, like, they take the time to, they don't just show, like, him rotely hitting it. They actually show this, them before he hits it, he, like, psychs himself up and makes the noise. And he's like, he's getting into the performance. He takes yeah. it seriously. Yeah. This is a part of who he is. And yeah. it matters. Yeah. It really he's matters to protection. sell it. 
Yeah. yeah. Oh, he he's, does. He's, like, he is, yeah. he's performing a role as part of the the rituals of the community, which there are is, a lot he of. Is as, and we he is as close to, to a podcaster as the Star Wars universe gets. Wrong, wrong. We have not <laughs> met Nemec yet. Um, <laughs> so like, he, he, you see him fucking doing doing the moves, hitting the anvil. Uh, he's signaling the end of the day, so it gives you some shots of the streets. And like, important to note, like James noted this earlier on, but like all of the shots of the streets are done like basically at eye level. It's just yes. flat shots almost always, unless it's like looking down from that clock tower. It's clearly it's clearly supposed to give you an actual like view of the place as if you were there. So it makes you feel more part of it. It's not you're not having buildings imposed on you. All the buildings for the most part are quite low. In the areas that we see, they're only maybe one or two stories. It never makes a point of going look at the size of that fucking building. And it's doing that because the, the buildings aren't the focus, the people in the place are the focus and, and they're almost the same thing. Yeah, and it's 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 the contrast with how they shoot other areas of the you know the universe in this because um or galaxy I should say like when they do the imperial stuff it's all about the buildings yeah. and it's all shot from those wide angles and those look how big and imposing it is and it's like it's very interesting because the very first shot of the film is about look this is it's visually telling you look this is a little guy who's scurrying among like these really big things but then when he gets home it's all oh here it is it's like flat this is a town this is a community it's all seen from eye level and how the film the excuse me, the film sorry how the show uses perspective is very informative both about the psychology of the character from which you're experiencing the uh you know whatever the scene is but also just in terms of establishing the significance of the place. Mm-hmm. Um, this community is never filmed as though it's an imposition. It's always filmed as though it's a place to belong to. Yeah. And it comes through. It also helps that the color palette for it is intentionally quite warm. Yeah. Um, which is another example of a very careful and selective use of color gradient mm-hmm. in this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's all, it's all that kind of red brick, red kind of, sandstone almost it's it's almost kind of glasgowy at points um but then like everyone's also wearing kind of like orange or reds or, or like you know dark kind of yellow kind of colors it's you know it's just it's very good it's just yeah the 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 place has its own color palette which is nice um so we then cut to bixie's shop where she gets that message and tim fucking reads it uh, Primor Authority is seeking a Canary male resident of Ferex for questioning. Citizens with any information should contact the Preox Morlana Security HQ without delay. Um, and, and he spies this because he is a paranoid cunt. Um, I think also the reason for that is because um, when, he, yeah, when he got suspicious in the first episode about Bix going away to send that communication off to her black market buyer, um, he he gets a bit fucking weird about it there. We then cut to Andor. He heads home where Marva's waiting, and she's she's fucking great. Fiona Shaw is so good in this. Yeah, mm-hmm. she's she's doing the um, definitely not mad that you've been out too late. More thing where she's sitting in the chair waiting <laughs> on him coming back in. Yeah, and she, oh it's so good. So Andor just like bullshits her about where he's been and stuff. And she's, oh, I okay. And then ask B2 to play the fucking same message looking for him. And they have an argument about who the fuck he's told he's from Canary and all that kind of stuff. And and, and B2 mentions that Bix is looking for Andor. 
Andor tells Marvel what happened, and then we cut to Andor going to a bar to meet Bix, who he then tells her what happened, um, and that's why he wants out. She informs him that the buyer's coming, and Tim watches them, and that's when he goes, fuck this, and goes to call the cops on him. And he goes out From to a little payphone. Pay yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. There's even some alien fucker on the, the, the other one just kind of eyes him up like, oh, fuck off, and turns around to have a more private conversation. It's just, yeah, it's nice, it's real, um, and it's ridiculous that an alien does that, and you're like, yeah, okay, that that's totally a thing. We cut back to Molana 1. Obviously, Tim's now fucking phoned in. Some cops are now looking over Andor's file. They read his rap sheet, which makes him even cooler because it's got insurrection, destruction of Imperial property, and assault on Imperial soldier on it. Yeah, hell yeah. yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Love this guy. Um, and they bring up an image of him just as the uh, the, the brothel mistress, I suppose, um, comes into the room and she sees the image and Cyril gets a wee cop stiffy. She has uh, <laughs> she has cartoon network hair. That's what you describe her. <laughs> yeah. All of them in the all the women in the brothel did as well. It's a very like so okay, let's let's talk about sex politics a second. It matters in this show, it's subtle but it's fair. Um, there's a reason this starts with a brothel and it's explicitly about the fact that, look, it's 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 taking a kind of ideological perspective on what Marx would call the Lumen proletariat and it's showing you that these are workers the same as Cassian because he he makes a he makes a connection with them because she's like, okay, seriously, who are you when he's asking questions? And when he says, I'm just looking for my sister, you see her kind of make the decision, no, this guy's not a John, he should leave. Um, yeah. But she treats him momentarily as an equal. But all the sex workers have the weird hair and what is kind of coding to you. If you look, it's also interesting. If you look back at the very opening, he's walking down a street, which is like kind of keyed after Amsterdam, where there's like bubbles with like aliens doing like performative sexy dances. Oh, yeah, yeah. In them he's, sort he's, of he's in a red light district for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And, and what's really interesting is they also have like like little tells in like their outfits, etc. This is clearly a coded, like the hairstyle is clearly coded. This is what sex workers dress as. Um, but what's really so clever about this this show is it doesn't need to use real world like oh they're all wearing like you know high heels and uh, you know um, latex or any of that kind of nonsense. Instead, it's like no, this culture has its own way of distinguishing and delineating sex workers from the rest of the body politic, and they've used hairstyle to partly do it. And it's like it's very clever. It's very mm-hmm. it, it's knowledgeable. It's knowing and. It also, if you watch the scene where she's brought in by the police, you see the way they kind of treat her. And it's, it's fleeting. And I, I actually caught this on the rewatch. There's a woman who's working at the console, a police officer. She, like, glances at the woman's haircut and you see her pull her face. And it's just so clever. It's so, so clever. Um, because it's like you, you see her basically being judged for her status as a sex worker. Yeah. And it's just in passing. It's just like a little, you know, you, you blink and you miss it. It's so good. Anyway, sorry. On, on the note of sex, um, Bex turns up at Tim's and they do like the closest thing to fuck you on screen that Disney could possibly allow, in which yes. she takes off an item of clothing and goes to sit in his bed. Tim looks a bit <laughs> fucking uneasy through the whole thing. Uh, because obviously he's just fucking committed like one of the worst social crimes you can do, which is grass some cunt up to the cops. Um, mm-hmm. And then we cut back to Morlana One, where we meet Trevor from EastEnders. Yeah. <laughs> this is so fucking good. I love this shit. It's fucking great. <laughs> he comes in, he's fully got the fucking Scottish accent on, and he is fully doing the Scottish muscle of the British Empire. Yeah. 
Like mm-hmm. this guy is an enforcer for fucking British officers, and it is fucking oh, it's so good. I love it. Um, David Newvisman, once upon a time, is what the vibe <laughs> I get from this. Like it's, it's, it's very it's, on point. It's so fucking like this is so true. Like, and this is the. I, I'm not going to get into the fucking Scott Paul of it, but more people need to fucking take account of the fact that this is a thing. This is a type of guy that very yeah. much exists in history and built the British Empire hand in hand yes. with English lords. He's also he's he's also got the physicality that matches to it. He's got oh, like he does. Kind of he's a, just a little a, fucking a, squared guy. Just just a, a wee a, fucking guy. He's a fucking bulldog, is what he is. He's he's a fucking ginger bulldog, and it, it really like it carries. It's it's so good. He's a yeah. stout lad he's who like is built for yeeting. Mm, he's like every <laughs> squaddy you've ever met. He yeah. really is. Yeah, it's embodied fucking perfectly. He, he reminds me of someone who went who uh, like played rugby when we were at college and and went into like the forces. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, Cyril says, "I'd like to move on this quickly. We have a dangerous mobile suspect and a very serious crime." And he says. Couldn't agree more, sir. Tempo is crucial. Velocity in the service of inspired leadership. Is there a worthy substitute? I think not. Fuck off. (laughs) Fuck off. (laughs) Yeah, it's so good. He's just constantly trying to like fucking sound like above a station. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. It is fully fucking aiming to be more of a senior NCO than a sergeant. Like, yeah, yeah, fully. Um, I've seen it, sir. Half measures. The take it slow. The wait and see. It's a plague on discipline. Face your men, yourself, the rest of your life, knowing you did less than everything you possibly could. I've been saying all along that we need a stronger hand with these affiliated planets. There's fermenting out there, sir. Pockets of fermenting. <laughs> it's so beautifully written. Oh, like, it's genuinely, when I, I, I had to pause after I heard that exchange because it's, it's fucking amazing. so wonderful. He, he ends it on, Corporate tactical forces are the Empire's first line of defence. And the best way to keep the blade sharp is to use it, sir. Fuck. <laughs> it's yeah. just fucking great. It's so fucking good. This is what they like. This is what yeah. they actually believe. <laughs> oh, um, so yeah, we, we cut back to Ferex. Um, Marv is at home worrying and all's back in his um, banged up old ship hideout. Um, and he takes the, the star path unit out of a little hidden compartment. Uh, sticks it in his bag and he checks his blaster. We then flash back to Canary, where the kids are watching the area outside of the crashed ship. There's bodies lying about. They're, for some reason, a weird shade of yellow. They're all wearing the breathing apparatus that has clearly failed them. And uh, the leader of the kids gets down to where one of them is, as the rest of them kind of close in and take closer positions. Ferex, again, uh, Luthen, shows up, the Bile, who is played by Alexander Skarsgård, who is fucking also fantastic in this. He comes out of his nice fancy ship and he has a look about through some binoculars and heads to... Stellan Skarsgård, isn't it? Stellan Skarsgård, sorry. Yeah, fuck it is. Sorry, I I got the wrong Skarsgård. There's too many of them, to be fair. Yeah, yeah, I I nodded along to that just because I heard Skarsgård, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, So, yeah, he he, um, sees a bus station, a flying bus station, which is beautiful, although it's more of a train station because... (laughs) Every single one of these um, little train flying things has the exact colour palette and paint job of the old SPT um, trains. Mm-hmm. I don't think it was intentional, but I'm pretending it was. It's so good. Um, it's cut- law that it's intentional, frankly. Yeah, 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 100%. Um, we cut back to the time grappler who signals the start of the day. 
we see Bex waking up to Tim sitting in the cocktail. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he says that he couldn't sleep. Um, Bex asks him to open the yard because she's got some errands to run. He's immediately fucking suspicious again. We see Andor back at the yard again. B2 asks him not to leave and Andor gives him a little comm unit. Um, and the idea behind that is that once he gets paid, he's going to drop off the money he owes and tell B2 where it is so that he can then go get, presumably get Brasso to go and pick it up for him. Um, and then we see Marvel looking nostalgic and then we go back to Canary again. And this is the, the, the lead kid is now closed in on one of the bodies. She po- pokes at it with a stick as kids are wont to do. And it, the guy doesn't move. She gets closer to the ship. She's looking over a second guy near the door. And the first guy that she was prodding gets up and shoots her. Uh, the rest of the kids yeah. go fucking nuts. And Andor sees the guy getting up but bottles it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the the kids go full fucking Ewok and they blow dart the guy down. And all of the kids scramble across once the guy's down to go and take the girl away. But Andor stays behind, just kind of staring at the doorway. Back to Ferex again, um, Andor heads off to a kiosk and meets another character who's called Zan, which I don't actually know if his name fucking comes up more than once, but like I said, I did too much work on this. Uh, he tra- basically just tries to buy his way out. Like, what's the first fucking ship you can get me out on without any questions so that he can then return with the money and fuck off because his plan is just to get away from here as quick as possible. No more fuss, he's just going to disappear. Uh, we cut to space and we see Cyril and Sergeant Mosk and their ship heading for Ferex. Uh, this is fucking great as well. So Mosk gives a little fucking briefing to the troops. He's brought 12 men. Um, this is this is what they've been said. He brings 12 men and then gives them a little fucking briefing on what to expect and all that kind of stuff. Very, um, if the locals give you any fucking bother, then here's the helpline they can send a complaint to or whatever. He just doesn't give a fuck. They all think it's funny. And then turns to Cyril and says, all yours, sir. And Cyril gives the shittest speech in fucking history to yeah. dead silence. It's, it's real Keir Starmer hours. <laughs> I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to confess, I get, I get, I don't know if the rest of you guys get this, but I get cringe response so bad sometimes I have to pause or walk away and then come back to like continue it. And I couldn't yeah, it fucking... Took me, it took me, I'm not, I'm not exaggerating, seven hours to get through Joker the other day. <laughs> yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Um, it's a total fucking dead silence Moss kind of looks at the crowd looks at him and then takes the decision that he's going to start clapping and then the rest of the troops join in they do not give a fuck about this Rupert cunt um, well yeah. said sir from Mosk <laughs> and then we cut to the um, Strathclyde passenger transport bus uh, some guy in a hat is talking to Luthen and you know doing the kind of I don't know, it's almost like fucking Cockney guy sits down next to you at the pub kind of vibe off him. I don't quite know like what this guy's dealer. supposed to be. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. He says something he's, along he's the gonna, way. He's going to, like, turn up in fucking, like, Ferrex and fall through an open bar. That kind of vibe. <laughs> yeah. And he gives a, a, if you can't find it here, then it's not worth finding kind of line to him. And that's it. Uh, and then we see Andor walking through the yard as the bus flies overhead and he's walking directly towards the camera as the music comes up, and it's a really nice shot. I do like that little wheeler dealer guy, though. He's got that very British, like, e, they'll take your eyes and come back for the sockets kind of vibe to him. It's He's a it's cheeky chappy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. E, the price of parking these days, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> yeah. 
so that's that's episode two um does anyone have anything else to add on that episode before we move in like i say it's a lot of scene setting it's a lot of um, um i can't remember if it was together. i think it was episode i think it was episode one actually but we didn't mention that when he gets back he like the ship he borrowed to go and like kill cops on the fucking in, on the uh in the pleasure zone that's right we didn't he yeah. takes that back to the takes that back to the shipyard and like re- replaces the fucking uh black box yep. with a clean one and gets chewed out by crackers kid <laughs> Yeah, yeah, um, that yeah, Pegler um, is very much like yeah. Okay, you've you've had your favor. Please fuck off. I will get in trouble if you get any more favors. Um, yeah. So you can see like he's obviously fucking cashed in one too many fucking favors, and people are starting to get a bit done with him. He has that running with the lad who gets oh, the fucking shit. giant goon. Nutchy. Yeah, yeah. So a yeah. guy, a guy, he was money. Um, chases him up for it. He's hired um some just big fucking alien to stand there and look menacing, but that's literally what he's hired them to do. Just stand yeah. there. <laughs> and Andor, Andor just absolutely having none of it. It's just, it's so good. Like, yeah. Oh, it's Cause he's just like, well, what are you doing here? Like, are you with him? Like, what, what, did he, what did he tell you? You know what I mean? And it's like, I just had to stand here. He's like, he's doing a great job. <laughs> and the fucking, the, the nurse, he's like, do you think I'm, do you think I'm messing around? And he's just like, I hope so. <laughs> Yeah, you can tell like, it very absolutely fucks him off. It's great. Like. Oh yeah, he, he clearly gets by on like charm. Like it's it's his one ticket out of every situation, and it's obviously not working in all fronts anymore. And that's another reason why he's trying to get out because he can't hide where he is anymore. He doesn't have the ability to to hide from what's coming. Um, yeah. So episode three, uh, Luthen, which is the bile, uh, arrives on Ferex and meets Cassian in an abandoned factory. <sighs> the factory um this is an incredible fucking set largely because it's a very physical set and i mean that not just in a yeah, yeah they, they built a room and put stuff in it it has weight <laughs> it has weight it's, to it, it's, it's, it's the, it's the, it's the kaplunk say. room they have built the kaplunk yeah room. <laughs> well actually rob actually rob i think you'll find that like winching giant engines into the air was an important part of the fucking galactic like industry so. <laughs> yeah that's true <laughs> I always store my <laughs> gigantic engines, bastard. you know, suspended from the roof. That's where I leave them. That's how you dry them? Yeah, I mean, Osha always, <laughs> always says to walk under, uh, you know, loads. Yeah. So what's what's actually interesting about the design of this room? Because I, I was thinking about it, like, why the fuck do they have it? And what it's meant to be is, A, it's an abandoned area, which is another kind of ode to the north. It's like, look, we had industry here and it's now kind of shut down essentially mm-hmm. um and yeah. it's been replaced with other like you know they're now on scrap and salvage whereas previously it's described that there used to be like a what was it a forge or a refinery was it they said it was forge wasn't yeah, it Yeah, it was a forge yeah. um yeah and so what that's literally is like it was just all left it was just all left yeah. hanging it was suspended it works as it's, a visual metaphor and also works really it, well it's as a literally setup. they closed all the shipyards yeah 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 and the, the suspending them in the air both works for the sequence that will follow, and I think they kind of started with that and worked backwards, honestly. But it also mm. just kind of works in terms of a set dressing for it. It's like, look, it's not like this was gracefully shut down or like it naturally moved on. It's capital withdrew and left it all in suspended literal animation. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's nice. It, again, it's a visual metaphor that works very well. Yeah. I, I, I was reading from the synopsis there, but I'm, I'm going to just fucking skip that one and just go back through the scene by scene because there's not too much to go through because of the way this one works. But yeah, um, it, it, there's an action stuff to it, and we want to go through that in a lot more detail as it goes because there is again details in it. So, um, we start off the episode that's on Canary, 
Um, we get a really good shot from inside the ship looking out with Andor just in at the door of it. So it's like, mm-hmm. it, it's, I think it's an octagonal fucking corridor, but very small, clearly like a kind of, you're supposed to climb through this as opposed to walk through it. Um, you've got the, the brightness of outside not showing you anything from outside, really. It's, it's impossible to see because of the, the, the darkness and the light disparity. It's very claustrophobic feeling relative to the outside that he was in. So it, it just it very immediately puts that character in a completely new situation removed from everything he's been in before. So, you know, it, the, the, the confusion and stuff is sold a lot better, which is very nice. He, he comes in, he, he stumbles on the, the control room, there's flickering screens, white noise, garbled comms, all that kind of stuff you can hear. And then he sees his reflection, presumably for the first time, and then starts to Tommy Wiseau the place. There's an, there's another visual kind of metaphor going on in here because so much of the interior is like black, glassy kind of surface, yeah. which works for showing his reflection. But there's also, this is like Alice in the Looking Glass kind of moment here. He's, he's come through... He's in a new area. He's never experienced anything like this before. And he's, he's confronted... Li- Sorry? He's on drugs. I mean... Getting <laughs> high off those fucking bust pipes that, like, vape the ship out. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean... It, it, what, what's great about it is it, it's got that reaction to it. You know, it's... Um, he's discovered himself through, through the looking grass, glass and he just kind of rejects it. He just, like, this is not what he wants. Um, and he just starts smashing the place up, both in rage for what's happened... But also, like, out of, I guess, the way to describe it, and this is important, like, the reason I'm saying this is this feeds into the character later as we see him. He gets to the threshold of something bigger than himself, a new understanding of himself, a new contextualization of himself, and his response is to reject it, to try and flee from it almost by yeah. smashing by smashing the place up. I mean, you know, later he gets kind of dragged no, into the it. The kid is that, like, literally. It, it's very simple. The kid is just re- rejecting modernity and embracing tradition. And I think that that's <laughs> yeah, what I'm about. Yeah, he's embracing this, his inner Ted Kaczynski. <laughs> <laughs> but, but this is the thing. It's like, this is showing you, this is who Andor is. He's given a glimpse of something bigger than himself, some understanding of himself that's larger than he's known before. And as a child, he lashes out. As an adult, he tries to lash out by running away, essentially. And the the show, like, there's a reason these two sequences are told in parallel. He's still a child at heart, is what the show is setting up, which comes to pay off later. Anyway, sorry, Mm -hmm. back to you, David. Uh, The next scene we cut to is the scrapyard. This is is a good one because it's the first one we see the the kind of breakers yard in action. Mm -hmm. So And it's, it's done great. So there's, like, a fucking ship with shit hanging off. It flies across. There's a big fucking bit of debris falls down, and then the bit that's flying across, um, you see two workers on it, and it's very much the 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 New York skyscraper guys on the yeah. gutter type thing, and Aye. it's just yeah, these are hard working guys that work in a dangerous job, and they just got on with it. What's really good about this, and I, I, this this is maybe I think the best place to highlight it is this show does a really phenomenal job of blending the physical sets with the CGI in a way that most properties don't fucking bother, frankly, mm. these days. Um, well, you see, when you were saying earlier about the um, the trailer for Rogue One having a bunch of scenes that weren't in the final film, that's a thing that just happens with trailers, like more and more. The same it was the same with yeah. one of the was it the third Thor film. Had a bunch of shots in the trailer that like took place in a completely so, different yeah. location in the actual film because they just did everything on a green screen so they can just like even the fucking even the last Mission Impossible the helicopter chase at the end in the trailer 
like he almost crashes into a lorry mm. and then like you know what I mean like on a mountain road and yet he's in the fucking like uh, Himalayas or wherever in the final yeah. film this is yeah. this is why we need it's a trailer the- for the trailer so you can get all the exciting yeah. uh, bits you know like <laughs> yeah. ooh just, what's gonna a, be in the movie <laughs> it's a result of like films just being shot entirely on fucking green screen nowadays. Is that you can make like you can give hand hand that bit over to the like hand the fucking unedited footage over to the trailer company and they can set your film wherever they fucking feel like it. Yeah, it's like they, there's less because they have to do less planning around physical sets. They have to give less careful forethought, uh, forethought to how the actual plot will hang together, and yeah. so it's much easier for them to both chop it up and just kind of fucking farm out different sections and stitch it together in post. Yeah. And this show, despite having that technology, doesn't do it. Yeah, like they I'm not really sorry. Go on. I'm not a big fucking like return guy when it comes to CGI. I, I don't like, do you know what I mean? I'm, I'm not one of these people where I go like, oh, you can always tell who and all this sort of shit, you know, like the CGI turf movement. But like, um, <laughs> <laughs> but what I will say is that if they'd film this in the fucking like the, the time cube or whatever the fuck they call that thing they've got for the, the Mandalorian, you know, where the, it's just one guy the and volume. a big void. And they, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. the volume, that's it. If they'd film this in that, it would have been shit. Yeah. Yeah. The trick is with the volume, though, that you can't actually do that as easily. You need to actually go back and refilm it because they're not on a green screen. So that adds like this extra weird complication to it where you do need to reshoot mm-hmm. the thing. Um, it, yeah, that, that, that's a whole weird way of fucking making stuff. And I, 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 I know that it is used at some point here, but I can't think well. Um, but like anything on Ferex, it's very clearly this is yeah. a physical set. We have built this. All of this is here. Um, so I've, I've, I've caught a couple of places where they use it and they use it correctly, which is mostly against very distant background or against yeah. sky. Yeah. Which is like, yeah, I mean, that's just, it's a better green screen. And that's exactly what you'd use green screen for mm-hmm. if you were like using it properly. So the, yeah. the, what's great about this is they very clearly thought, what are the tools we've got at our disposal? And then what's the best way to do this? Not what's the easiest, but what's the best use of this technology? Yeah. And it really like the, the Shipbreakers Yard is a great example of this because there are sections of that that are physical prop. And then there's a background that isn't, and it's very, very carefully and well blended in a way that, like, you know, your typical Disney fucking TV series just don't bother with. Um, well, so that's the thing, though. They were, they were fucking dump trucking money at people to make stuff on. This is the initial wave of we're going to do a Star Wars show about fucking everything. So they had, like, just a massive budget, I bet. And, like, they'll probably not get that for, uh, they'll probably not get that for season two, I would mm. think. Because, I mean, like, we'll Disney see. have fully shut the bed on, like, TV now. Also, like, um, money isn't free anymore, unlike when they made the first yeah. annual. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. that, too, yeah. Um, you know, they had they had to spend all that money, or you could see all the money on screen in uh, in Secret Invasion, so... Season 2, I'm afraid. They spent oh. all £47 pounds of it. Totally off topic, Jamie. Is that genuinely as bad as it looks? Because I watched it's the fucking, fucking opening credits. Diet. And I just it's hot dog so shit. bad, like... I watched it because people were like, fucking, oh, yeah, the opening credits CGI. And I was like, I've got to see this. This CGI, the fucking AI. AI, yeah. yeah. Oh, the opening credits are done with AI. And I was like, right, I've got to see how bad this could fucking be. It's bad. It's really (laughs) fucking bad. Like, I'm going to make you all watch it and do a fucking cultural committee on. uh, on why Samuel L. Jackson deserves better. I want to cleanse my palate of this lovely thing we watched by watching some horrendous trash. And I hate the monster. <laughs> not, for while, the not for a while, though, because I've, not for a while, though, because I've got a secret project in the pipe that um, we're all going to have to watch. Good. Fuck off. <laughs> uh, Alistair, how are you doing over there, buddy? <laughs> uh, we're still talking about Star Wars, so, uh, 
Take that under advisement. Alistair Walt, hang on, in all seriousness, pause a sec. Alistair, what would you like us to all watch? Because I feel like we've kind of done you dirty a bit. <laughs> I mean, to be honest, the problem I had with... with uh, the problem here is that I found the first three episodes of Andor very fucking slow. Mm. Oh, they are. Um, they are would, fucking it, would it surprise you to well. know that they released the first four episodes in a winner? That makes I sense. I mean, like, I, you know, like, I'm, a, I'm a massive Breaking Bad fan, so I appreciate the slow burn, but there was very little to sink my teeth into. I mean, the stuff... But that's because, that is because, like, you know, and, and no offence or anything, you're a Southern Shandy. You know what I mean? You're just not like interested in the fucking the down earth ways of the true people of this earth. Tell you what, Alistair, I'll hod him, you dod him, alright? Uh, okay, let's let's get back to this. So um the scrapyard scene, uh we see Andor speaking to Brasso, uh and he's clearly getting out in a hurry and Brasso's like worried by this because he goes up and he's like, I'm about to pay you and everyone else owe money. Uh, you'll find out where it is later. Catch you later. An eagle. Every um, time, every time. I'm sorry, but every time I see Brasso on screen, I hear his name. I just, I just keep thinking of my like my grandmother trying to polish the silver when she couldn't quite make it. Yeah. It's intentional. <laughs> it's, it's it's intentional and it's brilliant. It's so good. Yeah. Uh, we go to the bus station. So the the, the bus slash train lands uh, with Luthen. There is a droid that approaches this. The droid is a literal set of stairs. <laughs> Which, like, yeah, it's, Star Wars has what fucked is my up purpose? things about droids. You are stairs. <laughs> Do you oh, have honestly, stairs just... in your TV series, T? Yeah, I'm just, I, I, I'm, I'm just thinking this has been nightmare scenario. You will never be protected. <laughs> oh, that stairway's um, like so just yeah. running towards the plane, screaming that they have to buy these very expensive cookies through Amazon. <laughs> the um the your, your cheeky chappy guy uh, who's talking to Luthen recommends to him that he avoids the hotel and he calls it the ultimate Ferrix gouge, which like foreshadowing. Um, and, oh, and, and I a, missed that. That's yeah, so good. That is good, isn't it? Like you, you <laughs> yeah. totally, yeah, you just totally miss it. It's nothing, nothing to think he, about. He at did all. look like you know Stan Lee's less thieving cousin. Yeah, <laughs> that's you, actually Stan Lee. It's uh, it's one of the performances in the show that I think stands out just a little bit too much in the wrong yeah. way, but like it's fine. It's like a bit part. I mean, the only thing I enjoyed is whichever one of the Skarsgård brothers it is is just like looking at him. And it's like that is how I look brothers. at strangers on public transport. Want to talk it's, to me? About <laughs> <this show. laughs> it, it's the it's the Skarsgård father, not brother. Uh, some fucking you know, just whatever. Yeah. Pick one. <laughs> Everyone from Sweden is the same guy. Fuck it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's fine. Um, unless it's they're just Italian. made of acting, um, racism, and, and dried fish. It's fine. You know, they're all. <laughs> okay, so we... that's that's a strong accusation coming from the fucking Dutch. Quite frankly, <laughs> our fish isn't dried. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're very proud of their wet fish. Who who would who would win in a fight? Bicycling to work or Norwegian piss cod? <laughs> This is the real culture war. <laughs> as we enter, as we enter hour two, things are heating up on the pod. Um, so we have uh, Luthen meets Bex. Uh, she explains why Andor's wanted, and Luthen says that he's going to go be and meet him in an old lot on the east end of the town. Uh, 
choosing the east end of the town is itself an interesting little thing to do because the east end is usually the shithole. All the oh shit! You're right. Get, God damn it! Oh, yep. I'm, I needed to pay more attention to the start of this episode. <laughs> uh, we cut to space and we see a ship come out of hyperspace and deploy a bunch of drop ships. And it's the cops. Uh, Mosk looks like this is the first time that his dicks worked in months. Cyril looks kind of <laughs> nervously excited. We cut back to the town to see B two on the streets. It's, it's always it's always exciting when you get to do your very first fascism. Or you've dreamed about this for years, clearly. <laughs> Um, we see B2 on the streets it's literally just B2 moving through the streets that's all, he's clearly travelling from the ship to um, Marvel's house but it's just to establish that it's busy people are working, Uh, the town is quite clearly going about its normal business Um, we then cut back to Canary we see B2 there, he doesn't have the stutter, Uh, Marva and Clem uh, move through the crash ship looking for stuff that they can salvage before someone comes in to actually do a proper rescue on the ship and they come across Andor who's currently going hammer all the ship's consoles and he starts freaking out because he's seen people um, adults which is okay, fair enough uh, drop back to Ferex, we go to the outskirts, yeah, we see like, one of the look, drop little ships tiny, like little tiny Kandor is like engaging in, you know proper Luddite action and then he's being destroyed by these two fucking buzzkills <laughs> like Jesus Christ yeah these people are stopping him from returning which is literally what they actually do um, exactly so yeah we see one of the dropships land um, in the scrapyard uh, we yeah. see the, the corpos coming out of them they're obviously all split into three teams of four uh, but one of them has Mosk and Karn attached to it uh, they move into the town and people are very clearly giving them fucking side eye, like probably yeah. giving them a wide berth. They do not want to when be they involved land, with them. When they land, like there's Brasso and a couple of other guys like working working on like cutting a yeah. ship up, and they're like fucking say like, oh, you don't see the like, you don't see the blues very often. Yeah. <laughs> um, and someone someone says, I wonder, I wonder who they're here for, and you can see Brasso like immediately clocking that it's obviously his mate. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we go back to Canary then and we see Marva just fucking sedate Andor and carry him out. The, the justification for this child abduction being they've quite clearly just killed someone Colonialism. So they'll, they'll all just get killed themselves anyway. So we might as well take him, otherwise we're just leaving him to die. Yeah. Which, like, there's a whole fucking thing there which we could get into, but, like, I don't think it really merits the... Uh, I, I don't think the intent behind it is as uh, obviously problematic as, as that could be read. So we'll, we'll skip over it. But yeah, you could you could read that in a certain way that's not good. I don't. Mm, I don't think so. I, I think it's well executed. It is well executed. Get... I'm just saying, like, it is open to some interpretation, which like you could get from it. But I don't think is is intended. Or that's all I'm saying. Um, well, because- I. I I, I get this. So, like, there is obviously there's that reading of like abductive abducting of native children and civilization, yeah. etc., etc. I don't think that's there at all. I think the fact that they very explicitly set it up as if we leave them here, they'll kill them. Yeah, is oh, yeah, yeah. what yeah. makes like you know. I, I don't think they run. No, I, I think I, if it was like written say, any other way, like, yeah. What I'm saying is, all of the parts are there for you to take it in a certain way, but you don't have to. That's what I mean. Yeah. Um, we go back to Marva's house, uh, the cops arrive, they do the old knock at the door, when she answers they fucking burst in like cunts, and they just start fully tearing the place apart. 
they threaten B2, and then Andor's Found voice comes... Found this spoon, sir. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Andor's voice comes through the comm. They get very excited. Moss traces the signal, leaves two cops behind with Marva, and directs the closest unit to Andor's location while they make their way there, uh, with others to just basically keep them contained but don't engage. The streets are obviously busy. Uh, he leaves two cops there specifically because people are starting to get agitated. They start kind of harassing her, um, the cops on their way out, like, oh, she's just an old woman, what are you doing? The kind of stuff that you would expect in a community that knows the cops are not to be trusted. Yeah. Then we cut back to the factory where Luthen uh, meets Andor. Um, there's a, a very, like stilted conversation between the two they clearly don't trust each other uh we cut back to bixie's shop and i mean it is it, that bit of banter is a bit like how can i trust you ah but how can i trust you no no how can i trust you to be you ah it's, yeah because uh, yeah, they're at cross purposes yeah, yeah. andor's andor's trying to sell these fucking like uh like time fucking pack or whatever the fuck yeah, was he got cube, yeah. and uh yeah, and the other guys they actually there to recruit him for like fucking intergalactic war. Yeah, rather than buy the thing. Yeah, that's his whole deal. Why? What I got in the rewatch is that the, you know, the the spy who's like feeling out Andor. What he's trying to establish is is Andor who he thinks he is, but also is he quite literally Andor? Like he knows what he looks like, but is it is it him? And yeah. he's very much prompting reactions from him to test if he's got his summary right he's intentionally pushing his buttons to make sure that this is what he appears to be which is yeah. why he brings up elements of his past intentionally to piss him off it's very well written i like mm -hmm. it yeah it's good, it's, it's good characterization as well because that's very much like luthan's whole thing is trying to be a a, a reader and manipulator of people mm. he's he's good at it he leverages it really well um, so we cut back to bixie's shop uh Salmon, who is the guy that owns the yard in which the communicator is stored, uh, that Bix used to, to signal Luthen, uh, tells Bix about the cops that are looking for Andor, and uh, through opening his fucking stupid mouth, uh, Tim gets found out for being the one that grasped him in, and mm. Bix runs off to warn Andor, and uh, Tim follows. We cut back to the I like how everyone everyone is just like fucking like visibly fucking knocked that he grasped as well. Oh yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. There's a feel of what have it's you done? So from so disappointed, sound. like yeah. Yeah. It's 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 good and deserved. He's committed the greatest crime there is. Uh and mm -hmm. fuck him, frankly. Uh we cut to the factory again. Um Luthen asks, like, how did you manage to steal the Star Path unit? And <laughs> Is it Andor's explanation is that you just walk in like you belong? What do you need? A uniform, some dirty hands, and an imperial toolkit? They're so proud of themselves they don't even care. They're so fat and satisfied they can't imagine it that someone like me would ever get inside their house, walk their floors, spit in their food, take their gear. Yeah. And, and that leads uh, Luther on to say the arrogance is remarkable, isn't it? They don't even think about us, which then starts a whole who's us type deal. Um, in which mm. clearly fucking, you know, he, he's reeled them in. He's, he's gotten to that point of like, that we are on the same team. You should come along. Uh, they start getting anxious about wanting to leave. Uh, Luthen pushes again, bringing up the fact that his dad was was hung, hanged, whatever. Um, and that that's exactly what's going to happen to Andor if he doesn't leave now. 
uh, Andor asks, why would I go anywhere with you? And Luthen says, don't you, want, don't you want to fight these bastards for real? And that seems to be enough to get him to go, right, fine, fuck it. Uh, yeah, oh, this is good. Right, so we cut back to the streets again. Salmon and his son just start fucking wailing on like chimes that are hanging on the walls. Yeah. Just to make as much noise as they can. And then everyone else just starts doing the same shit. They don't know why for sure. They just start doing it because it's a community response. And this is something that, please do correct me if I'm wrong on this, but this is something that I read. Um, this is a thing that would happen in Northern Ireland when British troops would patrol through an area. So you're right, David, but it's not just Northern Ireland. Is a no, 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 not just, it. but that's just one example of it, yeah. Yeah, what's great about it is they, the entire community response, they don't just start like making noise, but they also you see them explicitly like, they're closing up shops, they're shutting doors, they're yeah. pulling shutters on windows. What it's basically saying is the community, it's like an immune response. The community is saying, yeah. danger is here, and everyone is like clearing the fucking streets and getting in. And it shows you that it's a community. It responds as a community. Yes. It's not every man for himself. It's everyone looking out for each other and being part of this bigger thing, uh, which freaks the fuck out of the security guards, as it should. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I like, what I like is a really nice touch that uh, when like fucking Cyril asks what, what they're doing, like Mosk obviously doesn't know the local customs and it's just like it's intimidation. So. Oh, yeah. Intimidation, <laughs> sir. Bluff and bluster. Fuck up. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is one of, one of the things I did actually quite like about Andor was just the way it characterizes pretty much the entirety of like everything the empire does like they don't give a shit about you know the little people or their customs yeah, yeah. or anything it's just the empire whatever the empire wants and also that like because of that just in uh, like either indifference or active just disinterest um like they constantly trip over their own dicks as a result <laughs> yeah yeah it's, it's really interesting. I read a book that you were getting intellectual a second. I read a book some time ago was talking about the differences in imperialist strategies of like the great powers in our world, like contrasting Britain with France, with God help us, Belgium, um, you know, and so forth. And one of the one of the things that's remarked is that one of the ways France was able to negotiate its withdrawal a little bit more successfully than many of the others was that France did actually pay a little bit of attention to local customs and thus were taken a little bit more seriously when they gave lip service. Not as like an excuse or anything, but it's like they were more effective because they paid an iota of attention, yeah. contrasting with like the British and others who very much did this shit. So it's like, it's, what's nice is it's, it's literally showing they are incompetent at being empire. Yeah. So as uh, Carl and Mosk are making their way across to uh, the factory, we see uh, Luthien realise that Andor's got a comm link on him and he asks for it and then he just fucking breaks it. Uh, never carry anything that you don't control, which, like, is, is Luthien yeah, characterisation straight up. Test. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that says a lot about Luthien as well because, like, he doesn't like having things in his possession, people in his possession as such, that he can't control. He doesn't like it when people start going fucking off script and acting independently. Um, mm -hmm. And we'll see that more with Andor specifically, but also with a couple other characters as well um, as we go through. Uh, the the corporal team that's sent to, to keep them secure, they move into position and they're quite obviously held by Luthen and Andor. So they start to get ready for a fight. Uh, we cut to the streets again. Everyone's going fucking nuts on the, the bells and the chimes and everything. Bix is running through the streets and she gets stopped when she runs into some of the corpos. Um, one of them, you look scaled girl in a very condescending manner, which is like, yep, that's cops. 
once again, uh, you've nailed the fucking vibe of cops. Well done. Um, back to the factory. Luthen just happened to plant some explosives on the door because he always has an exit strategy. So he blows up the door and one of the corpos just kind of stumbles through the door once it's missing and just collapses to the ground. And the remaining three start shooting it out. Um, and this is where that set really kind of comes to life because like it's all like just big fucking heavy engine blocks and shit on chains. Some of them are suspended, some of them are lying on the ground and the firefight kicks off and some of the chains start to break and they come down. One of them, um, uh, something holding one of the chains in place, like a counterweight or something gets pulled and this pulls across one of the chains, catching one of the guards and pulls them right across the floor to a nice satisfying crunch noise. It's just really fucking visceral and so good. Um, but as far as like an action set piece goes, it's quite interesting. It's the kind it's of it's falling. the kind of thing you would expect from like, you know, it would be it would be more fun and whimsical where it in like a Pixar film or something like that. But this isn't. This has like the weight of reality under it, and it works yeah. really fucking well for it. It's following. So there's this really good thing like um, Jackie Chan. Uh, articulated this but it's, it's not unique to jackie chan which is that when establishing a scene of peril you first have to establish the physical stakes and if you ever watch a jackie yeah. chan film of any kind before he gets into a situation he's always like he peers over the edge to show you the the drop frequently something falls and you see it smash or similar mm-hmm. and it's like it's, it's setting up like okay here's the actual peril and its consequences so another, that we're about to place our hero in another element of that as well is the numbers we know that he's already suggested they take 12 men with him. We know there's 12 of them. We know that they're split into four teams. We know that two are left back at Marva's. We know that there's four people outside there just now, and one of them just been taken down. So we know that there's three left. We see one taken down by that chain. We see another one shot. They think it's fine, and Andor goes to try and pick up the Star Path unit, and then one of them from the balcony starts firing. We know he's already there, so the tension's actually there. It's not just here are a bunch of guys we don't know how many there are it's not just like a wave of fucking troopers or whatever it is the monster closet hasn't popped open yeah yeah exactly it's really fucking good um we go back to the streets uh bix tries to get away from the corpo she gets fucking punched for it and chained to the wall tim shows up and tries to help her and he runs for her basically and gets shot by one of the corpos not the lead one it's another one who just kind of reacts to a guy running at him which again is very cop that cop gets immediately disciplined um as the 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 line comes through to to mosque and carl that there's actually a firefight going on and that cop who did it is he has his gun taken off him and he's sent back to one of the drop ships to get it up so that they've got like eyes in the sky what I love about the way that's done, though, is the cop who takes a gun off him, it's not that he's mad that this guy has lost his life, right? He's mad that this guy is undisciplined. There is paperwork to be done it. now. Yeah, there's, there's paperwork to be done as a consequence of this. It's made an administrative headache, and you're about to enter a firefight, and he doesn't need that standing behind him. And this yeah. is all very well conveyed by the lead actor as he this, pulls um, the gun off him. Yeah. This scene, though, establishes one of the primary themes of the show, which is that grasses get the wall. Yes. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 100%. Yeah, we cut to uh, Brasso after this, walking away from the dropship. Yeah. And like, n- nothing more to it than that. He's just walking through the yard and the dropship happens to be hi- behind them. Don't read into that. Any. 
yeah, I it's yeah, that's right. He does take his gloves off, yeah, because he's done his work. Um, we then cut to Marva's home again, and like you can see the two fucking corpos are they're looking out the window, they're agitated. Yeah, and she's says and she's noising them up. It's yeah, great. Yeah, gets to you, doesn't it? That's what a reckoning <laughs> sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because one guy's like one guy's like the, the more senior guy is like shut up, and and the like fucking like new guy is like, what does it mean? What's yeah, gonna yeah, happen? Yeah. Like, it's- yeah, it's when it stops. That's when you really want to start to fret. And then, why? What <laughs> happens then? And she just kind of gets this little look in her face, just like a kind of smug silence. At this point, yeah. she's chosen to say no more, and that's better than saying anything. And Orin Luthen escape the the factory. They you know fucking. They, basically just demolish the place by setting off all of the fucking chains and engines that are hanging from the ceiling. Uh, they crawl out through like an old tunnel that goes through the forge and uh, all the cops decide right, they're going to set an ambush. Which, fine, okay, typical cop shit. Cyril moves into a doorway and looks out. Quite the thing. Total he, silence he, because doesn't he like doesn't he startle a bunch of like fucking oh guys yeah yeah, that are yeah in that's like, right yeah 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 just again cop shit just normal yeah um he misses them all but yeah um so then he takes up his position just inside the the mostly closed door all the bells stop he looks tense and then a gunner peels at his ear and clicks and it's Andor and he asks how many there are Luthen just straight up is like just kill him which yes. Luthen, that would have saved everyone a lot of fucking time and energy going forward. That would have been good. Yeah. That's it. They fuck off to find a speeder. Um, the intention is obviously to get out. Andor asks, how many um, explosives do you have left? At that point, we cut back to the scrapyard. That corporal who was away back to the ship takes off. <laughs> the ship has been cabled to a big chunk of debris and he can't pilot it because the weight's all off and he crashes it and Moss starts to get worried because that would then put them on the other side of them and everything's starting yeah. to go to shit and they all we're start surrounded. to really panic. Yeah, yeah, we're yeah. surrounded. There's fucking two of them. We're surrounded. Uh, <laughs> and then we cut back to the streets again. One of the cops is moving through the street and he hears a noise. It's um, a gagged and bound Cyril who is screaming for help and then we hear a speeder just as he gets the gag taken out. That's them. A speed, like a car type speeder, just goes down the street in a straight line. All the cops start firing at it. The thing flips over, and that seems to be it. All's good. And then another speeder bike comes round the corner with the two of them on it. Luthen quite just happily pulls out a little detonator, clicks it, and blows up the first speeder, taking out three of the cops. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bix gets t- helped away by Salmon. Uh, Brasso is just seen in the bar having a nice quiet drink to himself. Cyril has developed the most rapid onset PTSD you've ever seen. Um, <laughs> and we then get a little kind of back and forth cut of Ferex, um now yeah. in Canary then of Andor escaping with Luthen and a young Andor escaping Canary with Marva, both of them kind of looking from the back of the ship out through the window. And it's just, it's a nice little shot. The music's really fucking good here. It's just, it's like, it's a track that builds on itself really, really well. It just keeps ramping up, ramping up, and then it just ends, and that's it. Yeah. Mm. It's it's pretty good. The bit where, you know, he's, he's told, you know, just kill him, and he doesn't. It's like, it's very interesting because what you're getting in that scene 
is that Lufin has picked his side. He know who he knows who his enemy is, and he knows that his enemy is his enemy no matter the circumstance. Doesn't matter if they're at your mercy, just kill him. Yeah. Whereas you know, um, Cassian, on the other hand, like he he hasn't picked a side. He doesn't have a side, and he still, as a consequence, because he hasn't picked a side, he yeah. hasn't picked an enemy. Clearly, at that point, and so you know, he's still got human mercy for them, and it's it's interesting. It's it's like an important little, just like one note character beat, and it's very interesting. Is like you said. The show does not pull punches in showing that the correct thing to do in retrospect would have been to shoot that guy in the head right yeah. there and then. Um, oh, well, I'm sure there's nothing significant to that. I'm sure there's no message in that for your regular human being. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's the arc. Like you said, it's, it's the, I, I didn't want to call it the escape arc because that, that name's much better deserved for the third arc, but... Um, like yeah, it, is, it sets up so many of the pieces. We still have a bunch to set up, which will get set up in the next episode. But as far as Ferex is concerned, like we've established, it's a a living place. We've established, like you know, they don't trust the cops. We've established that they've now just generated a bunch of problems with cops, and we've established that the cops are dipshits. And more importantly, we've established this show is good. Yes, very good. All right, so this has quite clearly gone on far too fucking long. Um, we are three episodes of 12 in. Yeah, okay, but we did spend the first hour just talking, like, what is a Star War? So. Well, it's an important question to ask, and we've now answered we it, might, so it's We might fun. get the rest of it done in two episodes at a push, I think. Oh, that would be, that would be nice. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see if you're right. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll call this episode here now, folks. Uh, the next part will be out at some point in the near future. Don't ask me when. I don't know. Um, this is a whole fucking thing. I don't know how much of this is even going to be immediately available. So uh, you'll get what you get when you get it. Yeah, don't and, don't ask yeah. us or our Lodge David ever again. Yeah, yeah. You can get more episodes at patreon.com forward slash praxiscast. Check us out on the Twitch. That's Wednesdays and Thursdays. Twitch.tv forward slash praxiscast. You can get merch, praxiscast.tmail.com. And yeah, we will see you um, on the next episode, which may or may not be part two of this one. Bye. 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 See you.